Well, JD, thank you for being on the podcast, Uncut and Real Raw. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. You were highly recommended by several of my guests. JD, we've known each other over the years as far as, a, uh, as acquaintances from a distance. We've met several times. I have the ultimate respect for you for what you do. I've heard legendary stories about you and your career, but we've never actually sat down and had a cocktail together, talked about training horses, talked about the horse industry, talked about your career. So I'm very excited to talk to you today and just kind of dive into what made your career so successful from a horse training perspective, from a competition perspective. The whole point of the podcast, JD, is to talk to people that have excelled in their industry, whether it's horses, it could be business, it could be all, all kinds of industries. But there's a, there's a certain characteristic that makes winners winners. I don't care if they're riding a fucking horse, they're driving a race car, they're a businessman, they're winners for a reason. And that's what I like to dive into to talk to everybody about what makes them tick and why they are what they are. So speak freely as you want today, and and I'll ask a bunch of questions. Okay, thank you. You know uh, what? Uh, for me to come on this, and they asked me if I knew you, and I said I've met you in passing. Yes. You, yeah, in passing. That's what we've done. Yes. But uh, you always study somebody that's successful. Yes. And uh, you surround yourself with people that are successful that helps you become successful. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I probably know a lot more about you not knowing you mm -hmm. than knowing you. Yes. Because and I would say the same thing from, from my uh, good friend and my mentor, Bob Avila, Doug Carpenter, when he was alive, a lot of great people that I've heard gr lots of stories about you and your career. And so I would almost say the same thing. We probably know a lot more about each other than what we, what we really should for without actually <laughs> sitting down and having a, having a conversation, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the, the horse training industry brought a lot of us together. Yes, like it this. did. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, it did. And, and one thing I find that all great horse trainers, men and women have in common, there's a mutual respect for each other, because I don't care if you're a barrel racer, or a rope or a rein or a cutter for you to be elite at your level. That takes balls. It takes dedication. It takes a lifetime of learning. And there's a mutual respect I've found between all of them. You may, you may not like your competitors, but you will respect them. Because they have, because for them to compete at the level that you guys compete at, it's not for the faint-hearted. Would you agree? Oh, totally. You know, uh, you like you said, you surround yourself with winners. People that are winners, um, they look up at other winners. Yes. Whether you respect everything that they do, you respect their win. Yes. And you know, we all want to win. Yes. That's what we get up in the morning thinking. I get up every morning at my age thinking about winning. Yes. And how I'm going to compete against these guys half my age mm -hmm. or a third my age. I mean, yes. I compete against my own son that's 27 years old. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every time I compete against him, I want to beat him. Yes. And so, you know, through that, I'm, I'm teaching him. He's learning from people that I learn from. Mm -hmm. So he's getting a double deal. And so I, I, I love the competition. I love it. Yes. I love the successful people. Yeah. Success breeds success. You know, I always say, if you want to know what you are, just look at your five closest friends and you're an average of all five. You know, yeah. bank robbers hang out with bank robbers. Bums hang out with bums. Gangsters hang out with gangsters. You know what I mean? Okay. Business people hang out with business people. Homeless hang out with homeless. Winners fucking hang out with winners. So happen? it's really, you know, the old saying, you know, be careful who you hang around is really fucking true. You know, what, you know, if you hang out with a bunch of people that are in the bar every weekend drinking and their lives are going nowhere, that's where you'll be. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's really that simple. So I'm very aware 
especially JD, um, you know, I'm not, you've got a little more maturity on me. I'm 48, but now that I've kind of retired from down under horsemanship, I'm very sensitive now of who I hang around, especially negative people. You know, when we're all building a business, you've got fucking pain in the ass customers. We've all had customers that you have to put up with their bullshit. They've got a lot of money. They've got your good horses. They're sending you down the road. You've got to put up with this shit. But at some point when you have enough money, and I'm probably sure you're there, that you don't have to put up with it anymore. So you're, I'm at least for me, I'm very sensitive about who I hang around. You know what I mean? If they're negative people, I don't care how big their checkbook is, how much money they want to spend with me, I get rid of them because it just drains the fuck out of you. It, it's like they, they suck your soul out of you. Well, it's, uh, you know, you can't go through life looking downhill. Mm-hmm. You always look up, and the older you get, the higher you look. Yeah. And, you know, for, for me, where I started, I started pretty young in my career. Mm -hmm. And uh, Well, actually, let's let's dive into that a little bit. So, J.D., how old are you now? I'm 63. 63, okay. So tell us where it all kind of started. Where were you born? Where were you raised? You know, start where were you were born. Let's get into this life so, story. I was born in Colorado Springs, Colorado, moved uh, – my parents lived in Pueblo since the time I was one, mm -hmm. and I grew up uh, right there in Pueblo, Colorado, still on the same place with, uh, well, my dad still lives on the same place I lived up around the corner, but I built my show barn and stuff across the street. My sister built her place on the other side of the arena. And, uh, you know, my dad was a brand inspector. So you guys literally are living on essentially the same ranch you were born and raised on. Yes. That's awesome. I How long was your dad there before you on that ranch? Uh, one year. Okay. So in essence, all of yours were raised we, right there. Right there That's on the same. That's a pretty cool story right there. Same home place. 65 yeah. years my dad's been there. That's awesome. And What's uh, your dad's name? Dick Yates. Dick and, Yates. Okay, great. Yeah, so How old is he now? He is 86 and he just got done competing at Las Vegas at the World Series team roping. He's still roping really good. At 86. Yep. That's still, a, you, you are a very lucky man to have a, a dad that's still in good health at that age, still riding. Congratulations. That's well, awesome. He's a he's a wonderful person. Yeah. But so, so you were born and raised there. And so you obviously a horse family. Your dad was into horses. My dad was a road bareback horses and rope calves and was a brand inspector and growed up that way. And, uh, my so did he rodeo on the weekends for on fun the weekends. and then the brand inspector was yep. how he paid, put food on the table for you and the kids? Right. And so there's the, you and your sister and anybody else? No, just me and my sister. Yeah, okay. How old is she? She's 65. Okay. Right. So just a couple of years older than you. Yeah. She's, uh, so as we growed up there, you know, she, she was, uh, we had one athlete in the family mm -hmm. and that was my sister. Okay. I couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time, yeah. <laughs> but all I cared about was rope and riding and she was very good at all of it. Okay. And a superb athlete, like gymnast, uh, you know, all through school, she was a cheerleader mm -hmm. and, and uh, rodeoed run barrels, very successful. Mm -hmm. Had chance to go on to college and gymnastics and yep. all that stuff, and I still couldn't walk and chew gum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all I cared about was the horses. Mm -hmm. And she did too, but she was like the sports. And so I never really got to grow up much in the... Never went to a high school. Only thing I, I did go once in a while to watch my sister at a gymnastics meet, but never went to uh, high school football, never went to high school basketball. I was rodeo. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Horses I, were your life. Yeah. yeah. I was 14, and uh, they have what they call a permit that you fill, and you can buy your professional card. Okay. And For the so, PRCA? Is right, that what it's called? In the, right. In the Professional Rodeo Cowboys. So... 
um, there was a good friend of my dad's that begged me to come to a rodeo in Arizona to rope with him. And I had my permit at this time. And uh, his name was H.B. Evans. He was a world champion. He was a good friend of my dad's. It's like, I'd like J.D. to come out here. And my parents really didn't have the money. And my dad was shoeing horses on the side for 10 bucks a head. Mm -hmm. So he got him some more horses to shoe and bought me a plane ticket to go to the rodeo. Flew out there and I filled my permit. So I naturally wanted my card. I naturally wanted my card. I'm 14 years old. It's July. And, you, and just and, and excuse my ignorance because I'm not that familiar with the rodeo world. Okay, okay? as 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 you know, rainer and a clinician, it's not my industry. But you need a card to be able to compete on a professional level. Well, Is you that... can have a permit. You earn a card. How that, do you earn a card? You had to at that day. You had to buy a permit. And you had to go to what they call these rodeos that accepted permits. And if you won $1,000, then that earns you the right to buy your professional card to be a professional contestant. Okay. So I, I had happened to win enough at this rodeo to earn my professional card. Or I could finish the year on my permit. Mm -hmm. And, man, it was just a dream to be a professional rodeo cowboy. That's what just, you want to do. That since was, you were walking, that's what you wanted to do. Yep. I, I was... That was like the. So let me let me. That ask was a you, high of high. At fourteen years old, and your and this is your your goal in life to be a professional cowboy. Back in this day, and again, I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but mm. were people making a living doing this rodeo? And was it a hobby for everybody back then? Was there guys making a lot of money back then? You know, in that era, was were you looking up to people that were just solely making a living rodeoing, or it never really was back then? Um, no, um, nobody made a huge living rodeo on then. Uh, and the money wasn't there like it is today. Okay. I was going to kind of get into that. And in just a second here, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to explain to you yeah. where, what happened here. So the, the professional rodeo cowboy association office used to be in Denver mm -hmm. in 1975. Yep. And so on my way up there to the rodeo, cause Greeley, the Independent Stampede in Greeley, Colorado, is one of the biggest rodeos over the 4th of July. And, of course, I got to enter with my dad because I had a permit. My dad, and it was just like, man, dad, please buy my card. Please buy my card. No, <laughs> please. Can we just please? And so he, very quiet. My dad's a very quiet man. And so as we're driving to Denver, or driving to Greeley, we have to go right through Denver from my house. And he pulled into the office and bought my card. Okay. And uh, so I, I was just like, <laughs> "That's old." Finally, finally earned it. Yeah. And uh, you know that we entered, we had entered five rodeos. So now that I had turned professional, my points started counting towards mm -hmm. the professional ranks. Yeah. And uh, you know, I guess it was meant to be mm -hmm. because uh, it was entered two times at that, that time, and uh, I happened to win. Four out of the five rodeos. With your dad? I won two with my dad and two with another guy. Okay. Yep. And me and my dad. Now, was your dad a header or a healer? What was he? My dad was a header. Okay. And you primarily was a healer. Okay. I primarily healed. Okay. And uh, then we went to some more rodeos right after that. And uh, we happened to win two or three of the, the major rodeos mm -hmm. at that point. And all of a sudden, I'm in the top 15 in the world. And I'm like, holy moly. Yeah, how'd this happen? <laughs> and uh, with without it being planned, but yeah. but the ultimate goal. Yeah. It was a dream of yours, correct? Yes, ultimate You'd goal. You'd always watch the NFR 
Were they broadcasting her on TV back in those days? No, one no. performance. Uh, the 10th performance in 1975 was the first time they put it on TV. Okay. So anyway, we go through the year, end up making the national finals. At this point, my sister, she's a pure athlete in mm -hmm. high school. I'm just a roughneck kid yeah. that, I mean, couldn't wait for the bell to ring to get home and ride. Yes, that's right. To school get home was and an rope. inconvenience, yes. wasn't it? Yes. And, uh, but but my, you're still in school at this oh, point. Oh, my mom, dad, they were, no way was I yeah. not going to go to school. Yeah. And uh, so my mom gave me the ultimative that uh, we'll take you out of school to go to the NFR as long as you're on the honor roll. Yeah. I'm like, honor roll, hell. <laughs> I've never been there before, but I better get there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you were highly motivated, yeah. weren't you? So uh, anyway... Went to get there. Then uh, school principals uh, were going to kick me out of school and make me repeat repeat school. Oh, truly, really, yeah. And it, we lived in a little farming community. When my dad being the brand inspector, because he could only rodeo a little bit, because he mm. had to inspect the cattle to go to the sale. Well, a lot of them old little farmers around there were on the school board. And he got to tell them, now I don't think we're going to get to go because he has to get kicked out of school. Oh, no, no. They went and talked had a little meeting, get together, and sure yeah. enough, I got to go to the finals. That's awesome. But I had to go. At 14 I had to be, still? Uh, well, I had turned 15, 15 in August. Okay, 15. So I had just turned 15. And if I was but, November still? Uh, it was in December, 1st of December, yeah. yes. And so, anyway, I got to go to uh, the NFR. And, Who'd uh, you rope with? Your my dad? dad. Oh, you're shitting me, your dad. No, I rope well, with, how did he qualify if he couldn't go to that many rodeos? Well, we went to the same amount. Okay, but, okay. In them days, they didn't take a top 15 header or a top 15 healer. They took the top 15, and you could rope with whoever you wanted to. Okay. So, I mean, it worked out that both of us all really qualified, yeah. whatever. But uh, And then they would drop down to the 16th guy if we roped together yeah. and was both in the top 15. But now they do it by header and healer. Okay. That's how they do it different yeah. now. But anyway, so we went, and it was very successful. I mean... I couldn't do nothing wrong. Yep. He couldn't do nothing wrong. You know, it's just. Uh, That's a pretty good dream, isn't it? Like to, to have it a, was a dream come a, a true. kid and his dad make the NFR like that and rope together and have a successful rodeo. That's pretty special. Like you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you know, and then it, then it, it was great. So I got, uh, I got to do things that I never thought a country boy would do. Yeah. Well, let's, let's back up a little bit if you wouldn't mind about your dad and growing up on horses did did your dad teach you your horsemanship skills? Did he teach you your roping skills? Like, is that where you got your your foundation or all of your knowledge for up to that point of fifteen? Was your dad your real mentor when it come to the horses? The only one I had. Okay. Yep. Um, he roped with a guy uh, when I was a kid that lived just down the road named George Draper, mm -hmm. and George was a pretty good roper, and he healed. Yep. But. Uh, my dad was a very knowledgeable horseman. Yes. He uh, he rode lots of horses, uh, trained lots of horses that he didn't really know that he was training. Mm -hmm. um, I was, you know, he's, he's talked about riding, reining horses at the Colorado State mm -hmm. Fair and, mm -hmm. the, you know, the, a lot of ranchers bought his horses. Yeah. And uh, so that was before I really knew much about what, any of this was mm -hmm. so then when we started rope them you know we my dad bought our horses we he trained them so and, that's what i'm getting you tr you basically in the family you trained all your horses right right and um you know you're buying them as two-year-olds three-year-olds what do you, how are you getting these horses jd you know my dad started off he uh, rode race horses when he was a kid okay 
and he knew a lot of the racehorse people from around the uh, mm -hmm. southeastern Colorado. Is this thoroughbred or quarter horse racing? Quarter horse, quarter -horse racing. racing. Okay. And uh, so they would call him whenever they had one that wasn't making yep. it, and he'd take it and try it and ride it for him for a while. And, you know, he just pretty much picked up horses from ranchers. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with brand obviously, obviously trying to make it work. He didn't have a lot of money. So right. he's buying, you know, he's buying cheap horses and trying to turn them into expensive horses. Correct? Or trying to, trying to make them horses. We That's what I'm saying. On. Trying to make them into well-trained horses. Right. Yeah. Did you guys ever sell these horses once you got them trained? We or? had to sell some of them. Yeah. To yes, pay we, for the next ones. Yeah. Yes. We had to sell some of them. But as a whole, you know, you, uh, when we found one we could win on. Yeah. Uh, money couldn't replace it because... It costs money to lose. Yes. Yes, it does. And yeah. uh, my dad was an uh, advocate fan about it costs money to lose. Mm -hmm. and that's why, that's in all honesty, people listening to this or watching it, that's why the really great horses are so damn expensive because you might go through another 30 to find that one, maybe 50. And, and, the, and the two or three, four, five years it took to train it to that level, yeah, why would you give it up? If you're going to go compete against the best in the world, you better be riding one of the best yeah. in the world. Yeah. Or you're going to get beat. Yeah. And that costs money. Yeah. Even back in that day uh, when, you know, I suspect the horses and the horsemanship probably wasn't maybe what it is today, but it still had to be competitive. A good horse was still a good horse back in that day. You could, even if you were a great roper, you couldn't get where you needed to be without that horse getting you there, correct? Uh, yeah, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. The, the better the horse... The better you compete. Yes. And so yeah. that's probably changed, correct? The quality of horse, has that changed? Oh, yeah, because there's uh, the breeding and mm -hmm. the, the quality of horses that's out there today is unbelievable mm -hmm. versus in them days. I mean, you never yeah. know. I, I can honestly say we we had bought a lot of horses that we have no idea how they were bred. Yeah. yeah. Didn't have papers. Yeah, yeah. And not that... They don't know how they're bred either. <laughs> no, exactly. And so, I mean, you know, it was just like we was... Trying to make ends meet. I love it. See Clinton Anderson and his Down Under Horsemanship Method live. Order tickets now for the Walkabout Tour, January 27th and 28th in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. For ticket information and a full list of upcoming tour dates and locations, visit downunderhorsemanship.com. So basically, you know, you and your dad, by the sounds of it, from a very early age, had a good good working relationship. You really respected your dad. You know, a lot of kids can't learn from their parents. You know, a lot of the time, as kids, you know, you, you think your parents are stupid till you get to about 35, and then you realize they're one of the smartest <laughs> bitches in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. At least for me as well. Uh, but it, it sounds like at that early age, you and your dad got along well, and, and you had enough respect for him to learn from him and, and be disciplined to do what he needed you to do. Yeah, my dad had a, a saying, and it's true to this day. Mm -hmm. um, if we're going to do this as a business, we're going to treat it as a business, mm -hmm. and we're going to be business partners. Mm -hmm. When we walk out of the arena, we'll be father and son. Yes. Yeah. And uh, we treated it that way from today, even today. At, yeah. He's 86, and he still ropes, and we treat it as a business. When yeah. we go in the arena... We come out of the arena, we're father and son. Yeah, but if, if business needs to get done, somebody will say something. Somebody's yes. not calling the line, something's not right, somebody's going to say something. Right. And I love that. He's, uh, he's very stern about mm -hmm. that, and, you know, I, I grew up with that. Yeah, that's all you knew. That's all I knew. And so, you know, um, so like I said, going back to where I, w I was 15, just turned 15, mm. first NFR, I had, uh, I got to do things that 
I only seen on TV. Yeah. Um, we was winning. Mm-hmm. We was winning a ton. Mm-hmm. People. So was, this is now you moved. Now you did the first NFR. No, this is my first NFR. Okay, still. Okay, we're still there. And uh, they would call me and send a limo to get me and take me to the top of the bank to eat. <laughs> and I'm like, holy moly, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Shit? I don't even know if I got enough. I mean. We live in the sticks. We're, I mean, we got maybe ten shirts, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I need them for all ten performances. Yeah, yeah. But I can rerun them if I have to. Yeah. Shirts. I love it. And uh, so we're. I mean, it was great. Yeah. And uh, that year was hard. Mm. That next year was hard. So now, what happened after? So when you get to the NFR, you and your dad have a great deal. Do you happen to remember by any chance how much money you guys won? Yeah. What was it? Yeah, it, it'll make you sick. <laughs> It'll make you sick. In 1975, we won more money than any other team roper there that year. Yeah. And we won $1,875 up here. You're shitting me. Nope. And, that, and you won more than everybody. The, in, in the team roping that year. Yeah. And we were rich. I'm telling you. <laughs> it was we, lobster oh, and fucking shrimp. <laughs> I mean, we got to eat. If we went to the steakhouse, one, either dad or I got to eat a steak. The other one had to have a hamburger, but we still did it. I love it. Yeah. And... uh you know, and so then we went off to rodeo the next year. So you still in school at 15? Or oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, so what age did you leave school? I, I never. I finished all the high school. Graduated. So is that 16, 17 in America? What is that? How, 18. 18. So I they went, made you toe the line all the way My mom through. and dad were strict on school yeah. and uh, still to this day. Mm-hmm. And I followed so, it up with my son. Okay, so you get to 16 and you're still in school and you and your dad are still rodeoing together. Yeah, but there, we didn't go to many in the winter. And mm-hmm. went to two rodeos, Denver and maybe Phoenix, and waited for the summer to rodeo mainly. And, and back know, in those days, correct me if I'm wrong, at least in your area, there wouldn't have been a lot of private indoor arenas back no, then, was there? No, that was kind of an unheard thing. There would have been facil- you know, fairgrounds and coliseums and shit like that, but nobody owned their own indoor arena no. back in those days. Is that right or wrong? That's right. Okay. And even to this day, I don't have one. Right, okay. My dad made me learn to grow up out there and do it yeah. the hard way, and that's yeah. the way we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so just to go on with my story a little bit, my next year, I was terrible. My dad roped so good. I won everything the year before. I couldn't catch. Couldn't catch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was... Pretty humbling? Bar- uh, humbling. Mm. Crippling. Yeah. Um, what went wrong? What went wrong? I have no idea to this day. You were still practicing a lot? Every still day. Still dedicated? Too much. Okay. And then I got to where I was overdoing it, trying to fix the problem that I didn't know what the problem was. Yeah. He was was very quiet about helping me. And uh, just it was just a struggle all year long. Now, was it a struggle at home or just in the competition? Com- both. Both. So you were struggling even at home practicing. Yes. And not just... It's not like you had jitters at the at the rodeo, you yeah. know, pressures of the show. You, you're kind of screwing up at home too. Yes. Right. And then... When you're screwing up at home and then going to compete against it's the best in the world, head. then it's messing with your head. Yeah. And so I rodeoed all year that year. And uh, a, this is kind of a funny story yeah, that I'll you'll enjoy. It. I I really was bad all year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm right on the borderline of making the national finals. The last rodeo of the year is the San Francisco Cow Palace. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it sits out there on a heel and it's cold and it's dark mm-hmm. and you're just like so we go out there and we rope at this time i'm 15th in the world 
the guy that's 16th in the world's right behind me, and the guy that's 14th in the world didn't make the fi- didn't make the finals at the Cow Palace. Right. Everybody run two, and he didn't make the finals. I made the finals, and the guy that's 16th made the finals, but the guy that's 14th didn't. So all I got to do to be guaranteed to make the national finals again is beat that guy that's 14th. I got to win uh, $158. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and go into it's the amazing f- you can remember the dollar figures after all these years. That's awesome. So I uh, back in there to rope. My dad goes out there, turns me a steer. I turn the corner and miss. And uh, the team behind me, if they miss, I'm still in. Okay. But so I ride out the back end, watch over the fence, and they catch. Mm-hmm. So I ride out to the parking lot, ride all the way out there to where the trailer was, unsaddle my horse because we're driving back home. And uh, unsaddle my horse, get two buckets of water, blanket him, feed the trailer, got buckets of water for dad's horse. Mm. Man, 30 minutes go by. Mm. Where's my dad at? Yeah. I mean, this time I'm having to soul out there in a parking lot by myself, mm-hmm. knowing I just missed a steer to make the NFR. Yeah. Comes out there. And I unsett- we unsaddle his horse, we put his saddle up, water his horse, blanket it, put it in the trailer, and I take off driving. And I drive through San Francisco and all the way out through Reno, and I'm in Elko, Nevada, and I need fuel. It's the sun's coming up. It's a night performance. The sun's coming up in the daylight. Dad, he gets in the truck. He always smokes a cigar. He got in, sit back, kicked his chair back. Cracked the window, smoked a little cigar, fell asleep, cigar burned out. I just keep driving. We pull in Elko, Nevada to get fuel, let the horses out. My dad looks over at me and he says, what's wrong? I said, Dad, seriously? I just missed one to make the NFR. He said, oh, no, you didn't. Those guys that roped right behind us had an illegal catch. I didn't stick around long enough to watch the flagger flag him out, so he made me drive all night long and sweat about it before he told me. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, he drew. He made me drive all night long and sweat so about it. So when you heard that, what what did you Shit, do? Shit, I drove all the way home after that. <laughs> I was so happy I drove all the way home. Yeah, but, it's like three shots of Red Bull in your veins. <laughs> but it was, uh, so that was the, that was the calm after the storm, I guess, because it was such a great year the first year. And, uh, but, but what I want to get, dig into that, I love this, but how'd you get out of the funk? What happened? When did I, you get out of it? You know, I roped, uh, bad at the finals that year. Okay. So you made the, made the finals but, and did your dad rope with you too? Yes. Oh, okay. 13 years straight, me and my dad roped at the NFR together. Okay. So no breaks there. No, okay. Great. 13 years straight. We lived it up and down the road together. Okay. And, That's uh, awesome. so, um, I roped bad at the finals that year. Um, about as bad as you did all year, kind about of? About as I did all year. Okay. And so I, I never got... I imagine your mental state at this point. For yeah. a 16-year-old kid 
to be sucking that bad all year. You make the finals. It's got to be causing havoc between your ears. Oh, what just... is your dad saying to you during all this? Are you asking him, Dad, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? Is he coaching you? Is he mentoring you? Is he trying to let you just fucking figure it out by yourself? What's what's going on during this year? Because you're probably trying to solve this, correct? You're practicing harder. You're getting up earlier. What are you doing to fix this? And, and what is your dad saying to you? Because he's clearly a big mentor in your life. What's he saying? You know, uh, he he had some very good words mm-hmm. about it, and uh, he would always say, you know, it is what it is. It'll work out. Yep. Just keep using your head. Mm-hmm. Keep your head down. Focus on what you're doing, and we'll get through this. Yeah. And that's extent, you know. And um, only time that he would ever, he never ever really wanted to ever help me with my roping after I made the finals. Okay. Except he wanted. You know, if I wasn't riding my horse right or he would, you know, other people would be over there coming head steers and he'd watch me practice. He would tell me when I'd have my horse in the wrong spot. Yeah. Was the reason I couldn't. Yeah. Wasn't getting the right loops off. Mm -hmm. Um, But as far as the roping part of that, uh, in his eyes, I had a lot of the roping part of it figured out. I had to put myself, my horse in the right spot and my mind in the right spot to catch. And, uh, you know, his way was to maybe help me with my mind was say, you know, it's all right. It'll all work out. Mm. Just keep your, yeah. keep, keep your focus. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep, we'll just keep working and keep Stay working positive. hard. Yeah. Yep. And so it's, uh, that part of it, I can say, you know, I, I really can say that he, he was a strong source mm-hmm. of, Steadiness by the sounds yeah, of it. Rock just, solid. Yeah, just... Didn't doubt you, didn't cuss you out, didn't no. kick your ass, just solid. Wasn't worried about, you know... Now, today, in today's world, if that happened, that partner would be gone. He'd be getting roping with another partner. Yeah. Back then, we we knew we were together. Mm-hmm. We were stuck We were, we were stuck together. We mm-hmm. wanted to be together. Mm-hmm. And then it was another year. And uh, after that finals, something clicked. And for... The next 11 years straight, we had no problems. So you actually went two years in a bit of a slump. Yeah, well, finished that. The, or it was a year and a half. Year and a half. Year and a half of misery. Complete misery. So looking back at it, with, at your age now, with the maturity and wisdom that you have now, JD, at 63, and the experience and the miles and the and the literally hundreds of thousands of hours been doing this, if you could look back on what you did in that year and a half. What would what advice would you give yourself now to step out of your own body and look back at what happened? For, you know, you're in a funk. What would you tell yourself now? Anything separate from what your dad told you? Would you have tried anything different? Would you would you have done anything different? I'm not saying you would or wouldn't have. I'm just saying with the experience that you have now, what would you have told yourself back then if you could have? You know, I thought about that a lot, and uh, it's a that's a very good topic. You know, you hear a lot of people say. Uh, man, I wish I knew what I knew now. Then mm-hmm. I'd go back in. Not me. Okay. Um, the reason I say that is because I think that's helped make me who I am today. Yes. Um, I think a person has to learn how to lose to know what winning's about. Yes. To get successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started off winning. I didn't know what losing yeah. was about. Yeah. yeah. And dive uh, maybe into that, dive into that a little bit more about saying about you've got it. What was it you just said? You've got to learn to be a, a loser before you've got you to learn how, to, how lose, to lose. So you know what winning's all about. Just dive into that a little bit. Explain that a little bit more. Um, you know, that's a cool saying. I uh, I think that is it humility. You've got to get your ass kicked before you can appreciate the win. 
Yeah, you've got to, you, you, everybody gets up in the morning going outside and practicing or going to the competition with the same mindset you do to win. Yeah. And not everybody's going to be the winner. Mm-hmm. And so you have to learn how to accept it when you're not mm-hmm. and get stronger and be mentally stronger and better. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, I wasn't yes. at that point. Because you started on such a high. I, well, I started up here. I had I had one way to go. Yeah, down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was my own fault that I let it go down because maybe, I mean, I felt like I was working hard. Yeah. I felt like I was doing everything Right and and it sounds like your dad was a, when I say a hard ass, he was of that generation where he didn't you, you know your kids need to kick an ass they got it. I sure I suspect if you were being lazy or you weren't working very hard, your dad would have been all up your ass and oh, kicking yeah. your ass sundown to sun up to sundown. So I'm sure it wasn't through laziness. I'm sure it wasn't through tr- not trying hard enough because he would have jerked you around. Correct? Oh yeah, my my dad would have, but he was never that way because I mean mm-hmm. I was always. Yeah. At the barn first, I was always the guy that wanted to do yeah. that, you yeah. know, and so he never really had to worry about that with me, you know. Um, I would say more that uh, he had to worry about sometimes my uh, mental stage of getting depressed mm-hmm. because oh, I wasn't doing good. Yeah. And uh, but he was very quiet, very easygoing. Um, when he talked, you listened because something he, smart was about to come out. Yes. Mm. And uh, even today when he's. You know, I lot a lot of people. You know, I call him EFI, and a lot of times he has something to say. You better listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's going to mean something. Yes. And uh, so, I learned a lot that way. You know, and and uh, so really, to the answer the question is, you wouldn't do anything different now that you could go look no, back. I would. Just a funk that you were in. You had to get out of it. Would you say a little bit of the funk was you trying too hard, maybe, or not really? Well, I thought I had to live up to a reputation. Yeah. I had to live up to a standard that uh, I didn't know how to live up to. Yeah. And, uh, but that was all self-inflicted. Yes. It was all, uh, um, you know, instead of just going and doing my job, mm-hmm. I thought I had to do it on a grand level. Yes, mm-hmm. a stage. Yeah. Instead of, you know, I learned to do my <laughs> job down here, do your job, yeah. and the stage will come up. Yeah. And so, you know, that was... Uh, that was a very trying time in my life, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I had the utmost uh, support from my family. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, and now I suspect when you started winning again, you really appreciated it, didn't oh. you? It, it was like being in the desert looking for some fucking water. You got some water, uh, It was, uh, you know, it's just like that, that lifted, that's lifted off your shoulders. Yes. That, that mm. down thing lifted off yeah. your shoulders and, uh, you know, then it just became, uh, it became easy, uh, not easy. It became more natural again, yep. and it became uh, a part of the life that mm-hmm. uh, we enjoyed, you know. Yeah. And that, that then about that time, my sister's getting out of college, and she wants to pro rodeo. Mm-hmm. So uh, she went, she went on to college, and and college rodeo and was very successful. Yeah. And then when I got out of high school, uh, I went on to college. Yeah. My, oh, my, you did? Oh, yeah. My parents made me go to college. You're shitting me. I thought they would have let you out of high school nope. after 18 or let you out. Nope. They uh, they went. <clears throat> I went three years there in Pueblo. My sister, she was really good roping and barrel racing, doing all that. And she was winning everything. And I went on to college, college rodeo, and won a college championship. And uh, I turned 21. You know, by that time, you're pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I told my dad I was going to quit school. And uh, he said, you are. 
yeah, you know, I need to go out there to California to them spring rodeos. I've never been out there. There's a lot of money out there, Dad, and, and uh, need to go out there and, and uh, make that money, and I need to start putting something together. And uh, he's like, no, nah, it ain't going to work. Better stay right here. So I went to California, and I went there two months and come home broke, enrolled in summer school. So I could go back to college the next year at Panhandle State University. I went to Panhandle State to finish yeah. my fourth year of college. But uh, so, so uh, what did your dad say? No, did he think you didn't have the maturity to leave? Then did he think you needed to stay with the family a little bit? Like, what? Well, where was his wisdom coming from? Because clearly you were roping good by this stage. You know, theoretically, your theory was right. Hey, I'm doing good. Let's go. Let's go hunt that money. Let's get after it. What did he? What do you think he saw that he made you want to stay behind? Education. Education. He was always real big on education. Because he was worried you'd break your leg and be a bum cowboy. He, you know, you're only one horse flipping over on you from breaking your neck. What, what was he, where did that come from, the education? I, you know, I think that it, it come from um, knowing that I needed to be more, more social skills, skills mm -hmm. being around some kids. Because I grew up from the time I was 14 years old in an adult world. Yes, and I mean, I was an adult level. Yes. Very and quickly. I never went to any high school, any functions like that around mm. kids. I needed to be, I needed to get my social education. I needed to know how to tend to a lot of stuff that I didn't know how to tend to, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, today I, I would tell you that it's the biggest thank you that I can give him. Yeah. Yeah. Because I went, I went back to school. I met my best friends. Mm -hmm. um, I learned my life, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a good education. Yes, and and so you know, then at that point, you know, I'm still making national finals with my dad, and uh, I bought a a place at this point. You know, I'm so the money's improving in the roping industry. Not really. Not really. This is okay. where I'm going with the horse training. Okay. So when, at the Cow Palace, when I'd started going out there, they had what's called a bridal class. Mm -hmm. And there were some guys out there, and I went and watched it. I'm like, holy moly, can you see what these guys are doing with these horses? It's a raining cow horse? What is it? Oh, it's a, they, it was a uh, spade bit class. Okay. So there's like uh, Benny Catrone, Don Murphy, uh, uh, Jimmy Brazil. Not the Jimmy Brazil that mm -hmm. everybody knows today, but the one out in California. And all these guys are in a bridal horse class out there, and they're running these horses down there, stopping them, taking these cattle down the fence. And I'm like, Whoa, so basically, working cow horse class. They're doing a dry, they're doing a dry rain and run, right. and then coming out and doing a cow horse and, and I was going just, down the fence. I was just in awe. You'd never seen nothing like that before. No, because I not never, at that level. No, and I'm like, whew, whew. so I go on and finish school, and then I decide, you know. I need a supplement income. Mm -hmm. And how can I get a supplement income? In 1980, there was a guy from Pueblo that showed horses. And he was going to the world show, world horse show, and he needed somebody to head and heel for him. So I was going to have to run two steers, one steer to head and one steer to heel for this guy. Mm. And he wants to win a super horse. I don't know what he's even talking about. Yeah, But he's going to pay all my expenses Give me $500 to go down there and rope two steers. I'm like, I'm all in. <laughs> and back, in, back then, 500 bucks is probably a bit of money, Ooh, correct? For yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was good. 
Like yeah. when it don't cost, it's all profit. Yes. They're giving me a motel room. They're paying my food yeah. and it's all profit. So that was a big number. Yeah. When did it and he won. And then I got to watch the whole world show. You know, mm. I'm watching the world show in Oklahoma City. What year Which, would this be? This has been 1980. 80, okay. And I'm watching the whole world show. And this is the same building that I had already competed in five years at the national finals. So I was in, when the NFI was in Oklahoma City. At it? the yeah. old Coliseum. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, wow, this is, this is incredible. And all the people and all the nice horses and all the, and I'm. And so, you're watching all the events. You're oh, watching, yeah. yeah. You're doing Every, your I'm watching everything halter. from the jumping to the halter to yeah. the pleasure, you know. This is the first time you've been exposed to anything but roping, correct? Well, except, you know, the local little Colorado State Fair when my dad was yeah. showing the rain and yeah. all that. But I was a kid. All I, I'd just soon rope the dummy. I yeah. didn't, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I got to be with the other kids. Yeah. I got to be doing something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And so I was just in awe, in awe. So I told my dad, I said, man, I, I got to go to that world show. I got, I got to get my horse qualified for that world show. I got to go down there. And I met a lot of people down there. Made some contacts. Yeah. Um, visited with a lot of people, met, met a lot of people. And so I went to, uh, I went to, <laughs> I had, to t it took me 18 times showing my horse to get him qualified. I never had a miss in 18 times. And it literally took 11 points then to get qualified. So that was because there was so few people in the horse show? Like, no. Why did it take you so much to get qualified? I have no idea. I don't know whether my hat was shaped wrong or <laughs> the holes in my shirts wasn't fitting or yeah, what, yeah, you know, yeah. but I got qualified and I went there and I helped a lot of people and I won the world in the first year in 1981. How old would you be? <sighs> so that would have been uh, uh, 21. 21, okay. And uh, You married by this point? You're single? What's Never been on? married. Never been, never been married, you nope. rich son of a bitch. <laughs> You motherfucker. You have got billions. You dirty, rotten son of a bitch. Bob Avila told me you're the richest son of a bitch in the Western industry, and now I know why. No, no. That's the funniest shit you've said all day, J.D., right there. Uh, oh, fucking duck. Yeah, yeah okay. We're going to do a whole other podcast on money after this, okay, because you got billions. Take a drink. I want to hear more of this shit. So... <laughs> um, then the next year, I uh, started uh, showing horses for the public. And now, when uh, you say showing, still in roping, correct? Yeah, show, yep. mainly in the roping. Yep. And uh, out of Colorado, still that's your home yeah, base. You but build I was, some more stalls, or what do you do up there? Yeah. I was basically just riding some horses, rodeoing, and trying to show horses and trying to learn about it. So I got hooked up. Uh, I rode some horses for some people and. Won some more world championships and uh, actually had a chance to go to uh, work for Bob Avila. Mm -hmm. What year would this be? Man, it was like 83, probably. I don't mm -hmm. know. He so looked, Bob, he, he Bob looked is young. He looked young. I don't know how old yeah. But Bob would probably be, what, 10 years older than you? Probably. Yeah. I've never really... Uh, I can't remember how old Bob is, but he's probably 10 years older than you. So yeah. anyway, we to... But I, I couldn't go to work for him because I needed a rodeo. Mm -hmm. So he, he was real good to me. He fed some horses for me, and I worked for him for free. 
And then if I showed some horses for him on the weekend, he would pay, they would pay me to show the horses. Okay. Now, he's in Oregon, Steve. He's in Oregon. He just, this, he, had he just set, started setting up his business back in this day? Is he, has he been out in his own long? Yeah, uh, he's been out there. Uh, he was pretty established. Okay. He was a reestablished Yeah. Man. And so I was working hard. Yeah, was this? Let's stop for a second. I don't mean to interrupt your story, but I'm just trying to catch up. Was this the first time you were really exposed to that cool shit that you saw at the Cow Palace, like the Benny Catron and those horses going down the fence and all that? You were in awe of that. Is this the first time you got around a trainer that kind of showed you how to do all that stuff, or not really? Had you picked up some of that stuff by now, or not? Man, I, I played with it. But okay. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But I played this is, with... is this the first trainer that actually kind of tried to mentor you a little bit right. and say, okay, this is how you get one stopping. This is how you get one changing leads or whatever. Yeah, actually, we, he, we talked about it a little bit, and he had a great horse that belonged to a lady by the name of Kimberly Fritz from Alaska. And we wanted to win the Super Horse, and it was very, he wanted to win the Super Horse, mm. and it was very hard to do. And so we teamed up because he knew I'd work hard. Mm. And we tried it the first year. I hadn't healed and roped calves on him, and he showed it in the rain and the cow horse. So I was around it a lot because we went a lot of shows together. I was learning. and I... Was that a pretty pivotal part in your career? Obviously, you'd had a lot of success roping to that point, okay? But in your horsemanship ability and the ability to be able to train a good horse and get it broke... Was that a pivotal moment in your career that you and Bob getting together and being exposed to that level of, because I'm getting the impression that the level of brokenness of Bob's horses back in that day was so much higher than the average roping horse that you were roping on or, or were seen, exposed to. Is that right or wrong? That's very true, you know. And and, and I uh, don't mean that, that I'm not no. saying you were riding donkeys, but I'm just saying, it, it, you know, it was a wow moment for you when you went and saw that those cow horses. Yeah, okay? it was. Uh, so was that a pivotal moment in your horsemanship career, you you two kind of getting together and him exposing you to a different world of, of brokenness? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, you know, when you read about the icon in the world mm-hmm. at that point, he was... Uh, he was it. He well, he was one of the yeah. He was one of the top guys, you know. And of course, like I said from the start, you know about people that are successful if you want to be successful yeah. in the horse industry. And so, you know, he was he was good to me. I mean, he let me. He let me. I figured someday I'll be wearing suspenders because he chewed my ass so much. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't stay on. But I yeah. learned a lot. Yeah. And uh, we went on the next year and won the super horse on that horse and become really great friends and so then i you know i was still rodeoing and so then i went to uh california to rodeo some and uh how old are you about this stage jd man i'm in the mid 20s um 24 ish yep and uh, so then i went to work for benny catrone same deal yep he fed two horses put me up and i worked hard yeah and uh spent a lot of time with him and he taught me a lot and uh, then I went, you know, I wanted to learn from everybody. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, the, the greatest thing that I did was never get paid. Yeah. Because you're never leaving a job. Yeah. And uh, See, that's, that's things I think, to be honest, J.D., kids don't get anymore. Like, I can identify, the first, when I left high school at 15, the first two years of my apprenticeship, I worked for free. They literally gave me food on the table. It was an old 50-year-old uh, fifth-wheel caravan to sleep in that ba- didn't, you know, barely had electricity. But I, I was, in my mind, I was paid millions. He taught me every day for two years, Gordon McKinley. And, and that gave me the foundation of what I, today I made a lot of money from, is yep. those two years. 
but he didn't have any money to pay me, to be honest. He, would, he couldn't have paid me if he even wanted to. But I was smart enough to say, I don't want money. I want knowledge. I want information. And, and I will need experience. And, and at least at 15, I was wise enough, or my parents were wise enough to help me realize that's money. Experience is money. Oh. Knowledge is money. I don't think you could get very many kids anymore, JD, to go fucking take a job for free thinking that they want to get paid. If I would have walked up to Gordon McKinley and said, hey, you should pay me to learn your way of training horses. You should pay me to learn from you. He would have said, fuck off. That's just the bottom line. That generation, they would have said, you must be out of your mind. I went there with hat in hand begging, could I work for you for free? Could, if you'll just, I, I needed to eat mm-hmm. and I needed a place to lay my head down. If you'll just give me a pillow and a blanket and give me some food to eat, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And he said, great, show on up. And I'm so glad I did because, you know, in essence, I make millions of dollars now from the stuff he showed me when I was 15 years old. And that's what you're just saying there is, is, is that experience is, is, is worth a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, I learned a lot there and I learned a ton from, I thought Benny Catron would get divorced when I pulled in there. And he told his wife, Paula, he said, yeah, that J.D. Yates is coming to work here and he's going to stay here all spring and work. And she's like, he's crazy. I, I No, I'm leaving you if he stays here. And we wound up, even to this day, me and Paula are great friends. And but I worked. Were you a patio or something? Why'd she think you were crazy back in those days? Well, I was days? a rodeo, you know, okay. and she wasn't around rodeo. And yeah. rodeo at that point had a reputation of being wild and partier. Yeah, yeah a little drinking, a little partying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little social life. <laughs> Clinton's grabbing a cocktail and we'll be right back. Get yourself one and enjoy this short clip. Nothing would please them more than to see this old piece of shit in a coffin. Oh, they want to drive a steel knife down a stupid fucking throat and they talk about it quite often. Right, guys, next hate mail. Shit is stacking up. Oh my God, I don't care how famous people think they are. Do not iron your jeans with a crease in the middle. Oh, my God. Hashtag fashion flop. LOL. Gabby Betts. I don't even know what to respond to that. If you know of anybody... Okay. Clearly, you're showing your ignorance right now. Because anybody in the Western performance world, cutting, raining, cow horse, that's industry standard. It makes your jeans look a lot nicer. It makes them look a lot more professional. Now, if you're in New York City and you like wearing skinny jeans, motherfucker, it's probably not your thing. I get that. No socks, short jeans, skinny, sandals. It's a whole different fucking vibe. I get what you live, okay? But in the Western world, creased jeans are very professional. They look very good, and I like it. So have a wonderful day. So, JD, we had a little break, freshened up a cocktail. You just went to Benny Catron's, okay? You left Avalis Place, you moved into Benny. His wife says, fuck it, he's not staying here. He's, he's, he's bros, he's on your team, you're staying. What happens? Well, um, he, he taught me a lot. He taught me uh, one of the now, things. Now, where was he at this day? Where was he? He was in Merced, California. Okay. So I went out to California and I spent some time there with him and uh, he was in Merced. And he was, uh, he was a very good horse trainer. He told me one thing that today I do a lot still. I mean, I do. I took a lot from everybody. 
to try to put it in what I do. Yeah. And the one thing that Benny Catron told me, that I live by this rule. He said, uh, you know, I try to break horses like I drive cars. He said, that means turn right, that means turn left, and this means stop. Mm -hmm. He said, because the general public can all drive a car. Yeah. So if you train a horse that way, they can probably ride it, mm -hmm. and you'll be able to sell it. Yep. Yep. And so I do a lot of that because... Keeping it simple. Yeah. Well, I have a lot of amateurs now. Yep. And so that's the kind of horse that they can ride. Yeah. Um, Not overly complicated. 15 right. million buttons on it. Wiggles all over the place. You know what I mean? It's I still be have some of those that I try yeah. to keep for myself yeah. that I try to do that. But yeah. uh, that was really instrumental in, in it. And so I worked for Benny for quite a while and it was good. Yeah. Let me stop you right there for a second. If, getting back to the Avila deal, what do you think was the one or two things that you could say back in that era when you were working with Bob that you took away from his program that was very influential to your either horsemanship or business model, making money? Because Bob was always good at making money. He was a businessman and a horse trainer, which is rare to put the two together. Usually, you know, you had horse trainers that were piss poor with money or you had businessmen that were good with money and shitty with horses. You know, Bob was a combination of the two that was well. What do you think the top one or two things you would have taken away from that time you and Bob spent to bear that as either from a horsemanship perspective or even business or life in general? Um, Bob probably was a better horse trainer then I was ready to learn at that point. Fair enough. And, uh, I mean, I took a lot out of it. But what I took out of Bob's book that he ingrated in me is a show is a show. And you dress up and you look the part. Mm -hmm. And you clean up and you represent yourself on a high level. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, rodeoing was not that way. Not that I didn't I, I didn't go around dirty or whatever, but it put a whole new perspective in me sitting here with you with a sport coat on versus me sitting here with a um, old shirt on yeah. visiting with you. And yeah. uh, so he was a true show professional, wasn't he, Bob? Yeah, he, he took it seriously from the gloss on their feet. To the, to the gloss on the horse's nose, to polishing the silver on the saddle. I, I remember him telling me, it's called a horse show. Yeah. It's, it's not called a horse event. It's called a horse show. Yeah. You're there to put on a fucking show. You're there to impress the judge, correct? <laughs> yeah, you know, how to, you know how to make Bob mad, don't you? So they had a show at Olympia, Washington, and we was riding horses and, and all that. And they have a little bar right upstairs, right up top. Went up there, and uh, <laughs> I don't really remember what took place. Got a little scuffle up there. Got kicked out. You did. Yeah, me and uh, some other kid that was there at the show. So, hell, you know, Bob always had three or four hats and five or six shirts in, back there at the tack room. So I just went back down to his tack room and put my hat in the hat box, got one of his hats and one of his new shirts and put it on and went back to the bar. He oh, no. <laughs> he come in there and found me, what are you doing wearing my hat? Oh, it was hilarious because <laughs> everybody there. <laughs> but, that's, uh, but he always had that, yeah. you know, and so that <laughs> always – Stuck in my mind of what that meant, you know. I never knew what a show pad was. Mm -hmm. um, I never knew things like that. That, uh, but he wasn't. He didn't just take it to a level of vainness. It was about cleaning the trailer. 
oh. washing the trailer. When he was on the podcast, he said, my truck and trailers never left the ranch uncleaned. And I do that now. When I get back from a horse trailer, I have a professional detail guy come and, and detail the trailers inside and out, detail the trucks. You know, you know, he was always about leave a winner. You want to become a winner? Leave a winner. Yep. So even if it was going to get dirty going down the road, you less left a winner. So it wasn't necessarily just about being vain. It was about making sure there's clean shavings in the trailer, making sure that everything is polished up, ready to go. And really, when you really knock it down to what you want to name what this is, it's called preparation, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it's being it's, prepared to go do your job, leaving you, no stone unturned. When you pull in, when you pull in, yeah, and you back your horses out of the trailer and shavings come out, yeah, everybody knows that you're there to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you have blankets on and your horses look the part. Um, you know, there was there was a lot of that. That of course I didn't have. We didn't have barns. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know nothing about any of this mm-hmm. and. You know, I'm I'm learning all about this, and it, it was. So, would you say the professionalism of of being a true professional at the horse show is what Bob influenced you on? Yeah, he maybe even more than the horsemanship at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was just the it was all foreign to me, mm-hmm. and everything that I was learning from that place was like my eyes was just wide open. Yeah, and so I learned a ton of business part of life. Uh, like you said, the preparation, whatever that case that may be, besides I got a chance to ride horses behind him mm-hmm. because he did let me show. What and was that like at that time when you got to rope on horses that Bob had trained for the reining and and had that handle on them? What did it do for your roping, positively or negatively? What did it do when you got to rope behind him on basically a horse that was a, a really good reining horse, what did you feel? What did you notice? Did it make your job easier? Did it make your job harder? Tell us about that experience. Well, because um, it would have been a different level of brokenness, JD, correct? Yeah, uh, yes. And I don't mean uh, that disrespectfully now, no. but it's a different level of brokenness. Um, it was, uh, it was definitely. Did it make your job easier? No. No? Okay. No. Tell us It why. didn't make it job easier. I'm not saying it made it harder, but. You know, we program them horses when we're roping for money and, and stuff at the rodeos to be in a little different position, not slide as far. Like uh, you might rope one by two feet and have to hold your slack for a long time while they're sliding. Mm-hmm. Where at the rodeo, they might slide from me to you, and then they better drop that front end to stop the clock. Yeah. The t- so okay, was different a different event. Yeah. yeah, It was a different style. Um, but like I never even thought about that. There's some different considerations there. Yeah. Um, the head horses, when you'd run up and rope them, they would slide farther, and sometimes the steers didn't come off as clean. So we had to learn to move them horses over a little bit. So when they did slide, it could start b- bending that steer's head and mm-hmm. make it come off clean. Uh, a lot of different things versus with him going to the cow horse. He wanted him to be right here, get on, make yeah. the curve head and i wanted to be a little wider so we didn't just crush Mm -hmm. the cattle when we roped them um but uh we had he is as tough as bob could be at times he was very easy to work with Mm -hmm. um and the the fact that i'll do my thing you do yours. Yeah, he didn't tell you how to do your job, and you didn't tell him how to do his job. The only one time that he had to try to tell me something, this is a pretty good story. We had spent two years trying to win the Super Horse. And the last event, the last day, 
this poor horse was tired and I'd been out the lazy working him. At that time I worked, was going to work for the lazy. So I had that uh, indoor mare barn up there to practice mm -hmm. in. And I happened to draw up first in the finals. Of what, the roping? The yeah. calf roping. Yeah, calf roping. Okay. And on Smokamoki. And uh, Kim Fritz that owned the horse went out there with me and we was there for a long time and trying to, this horse had been through two runs of the rain and two runs of the cow horse, four, two runs of the head and two runs of the healing by now. Mm. And we are literally have to be in the top 10 to win the super horse. Mm -hmm. And uh, drew up first in the finals, which... In roping, excuse my ignorance, but in roping, does the draw matter? I don't mean to be a dick, but does it matter? Like in the cutting, you don't want to go last in the herd as a general rule. You know what yeah. I mean? You know, so does drawing in the roping make a difference whether you draw up first or last, or is it just pressure? What is it? Um, for me, I would just soon go first, put the pressure on. Yes. Okay. That's, but in this situation, knowing if four or five, six, four, I mean, they take 15 to the finals. So knowing if we take, if four or five of them mess up, all I got to do is have a score to win the Super Horse. Yeah. Now we're not looking at winning a world championship. We're looking at winning the Super Horse. Mm -hmm. Which is a big deal. Which is, you know, a big deal. And and uh, so I pull in, and of course, I, I've been out there practicing, and calves have had me down. I'm bleeding. Mm. Clothes are dirty. Mm. And Kim takes a horse and going to go wash it. Mm. I'm running to the hotel, going to take a shower and clean up and come back. And I did. And <clears throat> so I come walking in there and they got the horse all, you know, because I, I still have an hour before the mm. before class goes off. And they had him at the stalls and she washed him. And they're all waiting for me to get back because I had to go clean. It was terrible. Mm. It was a mess. And uh, come walking in there and he says, hey, could I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, what do you need to talk about? So he explains to me the situation. Yeah, no problem, Bob. He said, uh, man, we think you ought to carry two loops. Because if you tie one on your side, like you see at the national finals, you miss with the first one, you can still go compete with the second one and okay. get a score. And uh, he wants you to do this. He asked, he said, now you don't have to do it. I don't tell you what to do. You don't tell me what to do. But I'm asking you if that's, if you would be willing to do that. And my first reaction, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely and not. And tell me why, excuse my ignorance, but is it, is it a, is it a confidence thing? Is it a uh, is it a kind of a derogatory thing to carry two loops? You know, I don't know. So you know what I'm trying to say. What? Well, why would for you... me it was pride. Pride. Okay. Uh, for me it was pride. I I uh, felt like that I was damn sure good enough to go yeah. do my job. And you could have had that winner attitude. And I'm going out there to win this son of a yeah. bitch. I ain't going out there to win tenth. Yes. And uh, so the more I thought about it, mm -hmm. and the more so initially you burr up just a little bit. Yeah, I just told him what I thought. Yeah. And he was good with it. He walked off. And you said no. Like, tell us yeah. how it went down. Don't yeah, be fucking around. He, he, I said, no, I, I, no, that's, I ain't doing it. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, it's your call. And he was good with it. Yeah. Like, he never, never, 
I don't think he was good with it, but he... But he had he, enough respect for yeah. you that he stayed out of your wheelhouse. Yes. And uh, so the more I thought about it, and the more I talked to a couple of my friends, they're like, you know, just, just tie one on. Don't be stupid. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, my, 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 pride was, my pride was high. Mm-hmm. How pr- old are you at this point? Um, 24 or 5. Okay, so you're full of piss and vinegar and cum, and you're fucking getting after a motherfucker. Uh, yeah. yeah, you think I, you're Superman. Yeah, let's be honest. You're winning. You're kicking ass. Well, you're done, fu- you know, 24, you're full of piss and vinegar. Let's just knock it down to what it is. You're supposed to be at that age. I done won the head and healing on him. I'm going to win a cab yeah, open, too. you got that confidence going you're on. You're damn right. Um, but uh, as a couple of my friends talked to me, and I never said a word to him, he went mm-hmm. to the stands, watched, and uh, sure enough, when I went in there to rope, I had a second rope tied on, mm-hmm. and uh, fortunately, I didn't need it. I won the world in the calf rope that night on that horse being first out, And uh, but he was probably right mm-hmm. by asking me to do it Yeah, because we had There spent, was a lot riding on it, wasn't there? Yeah, we spent these people's money for two years trying to win this award, Yes, and it come down to this one run to have us a chance, and, uh, you know, in reality... He was probably right. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that I want to admit it to this day. Yeah. But I he do admit here, it. Fuck it. He ain't here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, was, uh, it was a good story that we can still laugh about today. You're damn right. You're damn right. And one thing I, I really admire about Bob is he was very conscious about owners and their money and where they spent it. And he wasn't just about me, 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 show, show, show. What do I get out of it? He was always instilled in me about making sure the customer's happy as best you can. Some customers you just can't fucking make happy, period. But he's always big on, I'm accountable for the customer's dollars. I'm accountable for their horse. I'm accountable for not taking their money for two years when the horse should have been out of training, should have left training a year ago. You know, that was Bob a little bit. Wouldn't you agree that that it wasn't just, he didn't have, a lot of trainers have an open checkbook policy. We don't give a fuck. It ain't our money. He was never like that, was he? Um, Not that I know of. You know, I never, uh, I was, I was young in the industry when I was mm. around Bob a lot. Never talked to him about any of the billing mm. or anything like that. Uh, he was he made very good sure that when I would uh, go to the shows and show some horses for him in the roping mm. and stuff that he had there, that then people paid me. Mm-hmm. And uh, but and, you know it wasn't like we got paid an extravagant amount, but we I definitely made it yeah. made it work. Yeah, and it was very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm. Uh, you know, I, I'm very good with that. Same when I went on to Benny Catrones. He made sure that I had when I went to the shows. And, uh, you know, they, they both let me show in other events and help me in other events, both of Love, them. What are the other events you competed in? Well, Bob let me show in the raining um, quite humbling? a bit. Was it humbling? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you know, I, I guess I couldn't even draw a circle in them days, more or yeah. less try to lope one. Yeah. And so I learned a lot. Yeah. And uh, then it, it never ceases to amaze me, JD, that really in reality, the, the all-round great horsemen that can compete on a high level, on a world-class level, in multiple events, really earn my respect the most. Because I don't care how good you are, how much money you've won, or how good you are at your event. When you go to another event, you really go back to being a rookie, don't you? Oh. You really got to go back and sack on titty. And be a be a be a rookie, yeah. and you've got to be able to humble yourself. You got to be able to take constructive criticism and, and appreciate it. Yes, 
And if you don't, you'll never make it. Yes. I don't give a shit. You could take the biggest guy in, in any industry and say, okay, you're going to go do this industry now. You think you're going to step in at the top. I don't care how talented they are, how good a rider they are, how good a horseman they are. You've got to pay your dues. You've got to come through the ranks. Right. Yeah. You, you know? And, I, you know, so then when I went to Benny's, I got to show some cow horses mm-hmm. down the fence. He taught me a lot. And I had, What do you think you took away from Benny's time, you know, other than almost getting him divorced? What else did you do for his <laughs> life? Uh, I'm just fucking with you. But no. what, what did you take from, you know, you took the, the, the simplicity, forwards, backwards, left and right from Benny. Yeah. What other life lessons or horsemanship lessons do you think you took from that guy that really impacted your career? He, he taught me a lot about the horse itself. Mm-hmm. You know, Benny sold a lot of horses um, and did a lot about, you know, I guess what he taught me is not every horse is the same Mm -hmm. and how you train them is not always the same. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot of that from Benny, Um, a lot of different uh, things. Like I learned how to work one on the pole Mm -hmm. that I had never seen before. Yeah, lunge him around a wooden pole. Yes, I'd never seen that. And he showed me how to do that. And um, I worked a lot in the around curl that I had never, on young horses, I would even start in some of the rope horses. Mm. Started doing that in the round curl. You know, I did it, I called it arena roping at my house mm. when I just did it at the end of the arena. Mm. But it was much easier in a round curl than it was mm. a square, square pin. But, uh, you know, so I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the horse, the, the, the difference in horses, because Benny had a lot of horses that maybe ranchers sent him to ride to get broke a little bit more that wasn't going to the show pen. And so you rode a lot of different kinds of horses. What do you think Benny's gift was? Like I always say, every horseman and horsewoman have a special gift. They they can just do something better than everybody else. They've got a knack for something, whether it's starting colts or finishing horses or just showing broke horses or maybe it's money, business. What could you say that Benny did better than everybody else? So if you could pull out one thing from his program or his life and say, I'm adding this to J.D. Yates because he could do it better than everybody else, what would you say it was if you could? You know, Benny, Benny knew a lot about bridles. Mm-hmm. He knew a, a ton about bridles. Um, I don't know that, you know... Bob didn't know a ton about bridles. I'm sure he did because mm-hmm. he had a ton of bridles and mm-hmm. he won a ton of different. But I wasn't ready to learn about bridles then. Or I, I mean, I was trying to still learn about the horses. Mm-hmm. So when I come with Benny, he taught me about the bridles and what horse rides with what bridles. Mm-hmm. And this is the reason for these bridles mm-hmm. and the different bridles. The one thing that I've learned from both of them and my dad, my dad first, but we, we ride a lot of hackamores, mechanical mm-hmm. hackamores. Mm-hmm. And they, those two guys were not against it. Mm. And you see a lot of horse trainers today that are totally against the mechanical mm-hmm. hackamore. Mm-hmm. I still ride them mm. all the time. Um, but I can say that Benny could watch you ride a horse for five minutes or could get on and ride a horse for five minutes and tell you what bit would work on him. Mm-hmm. And don't be, um, don't be stuck on one, one yeah. bit, you know. Yeah. Um, he did try to teach me how to learn ride with a spade. Um, I never learned it very good. 
Um, never got the real feel to ride with a spade bit, mm -hmm. but he did try to teach me a little, and I yeah. know a lot more about it than I did, but I never did learn how to ride with it real good. But mm -hmm. uh, he knew, you know, he could watch you ride a horse and tell by your feel, you know. And I, I think that the one thing that my dad taught me probably from the time I was a kid that Bob and Benny always really respected is I had a pretty good left hand. Mm -hmm. I would never pull on them more than they needed pulled on. To get it done. I could be lighter with them mm -hmm. and it really worked good on their horses. Okay. And so Did I Did you try to incorporate the brokenness of these reiners and cow horses and, and stock horses? Did you try to incorporate more of that into your roping horses when you left both their programs? In in due time, yes. I started working with my horses more and more and more, trying to figure it out. And I always had my dad always had a young horse for me to mm -hmm. to to spend time on, and then I went to Don Murphy's. Got to ride a lot with Don Murphy. So how old were you went to work with Don? Uh, just the next year. The next year, okay. So yeah, you're traveling around like a gypsy. Yeah, just yeah. And you're but living I'm, the do life. I'm doing the rodeoing. Yep. And so you know, I got to learn a ton from Don Murphy. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what 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 did you what do you think Don's skill set was that he helped you with? You know, uh, um, Don let me ride a. Don and his daughter Nellie owned a great horse. Mm -hmm. And I got to show him at the world's greatest. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from, and I helped his son, uh, CJ, rope mm -hmm. and go yep. on and go to the youth world. But I got to ride Obald and Shiny yep. at the world's greatest. Yep. And, uh, you know, they he helped me in the show pen riding a great horse. Um, not that Bob and them didn't let me ride great ones, but, I mean, in that competition... Mm -hmm. Riding bald and shiny, I worked hard at it. I I uh, I can honestly say I probably never. I had uh, my hands were a little quick for the the cutting. Yeah, but uh, you know my first year in San Angelo, Texas, I happened to win the high mark down the fence and the steer stopping, so I won two buckles during the world's greatest. That's and, awesome. And uh, riding bald and shiny, I got to ride that horse, yeah. so that was good, you know. And and Don was. Uh, very good supporter. He helped me with a lot of horses after he moved to Oklahoma. Mm. And uh, but you know after I after I rode some with Don there in California, then I went to work for Robbie Schroeder. Mm -hmm. um, not a big fan of uh, riding pleasure horses, but I learned how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, he worked for five T quarter horses, and uh, we had a roping arena. But uh, we rode a lot of pleasure horses and did that sort of thing. And uh, Robbie was Robbie and I become probably. As good of friends as two people could yeah, be. Yeah. And I learned a lot from Robbie. He was a great all round horseman, would you agree? Like he I could would, ride a rainer, he could go down the fence, he could rope. He, could he ride had a, a pretty all round skill set, didn't he? Yeah, he could I didn't know him personally. He could ride a, a Western rider, he could ride a pleasure horse. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what what a lot I of, remember him showing uh, Shine by the Bay as a three year old. Yeah. You know what I mean? He made the open finals of the Rain and Futurity. That was a pretty cool horse. Yeah. Yeah. He uh a lot of people don't know this about Robbie. He was a bull rider. Oh, I didn't know that, no. And Robbie got stepped on and hurt real bad at Cheyenne Frontier Days, and he was in the top 15 in the world and had the cutting from about right here all the way down and, mm -hmm. and had internal surgery, and he had to quit riding bulls. And uh, it, it stymied him for a long time, you know. That was kind of a dream. Mm. And uh, But he was uh, – uh, Robbie was a cowboy. What did you learn from his program – 
to help your horsemanship or business life in general? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I learned more about a good friendship because yeah. we stayed together a lot. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and uh, um, he took me to a lot of horse shows. Mm-hmm. He, we went to a lot of horse shows. We went to, we did a lot of events. Um, I guess I'm like you. I was just amazed that this guy could step off of a roping horse, just won the head at the horse show, and step off a roping horse, put a pair of shaps on, and win the pleasure. Mm. And then pretty soon be putting a different pair of shaps on and winning the reigning. He had an amazing feel. And probably riding two-year-olds, you know, he could, he just, he loved it. Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of time doing it. He was really amazing at it. Um, what age would you be now? Shoot, I'm 27. Yeah. And so I, um, you know, I will say that I've been very fortunate to be around some of the greatest horsemen in the industry. Yes. In my air. Yep. And every one of them helped me. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot of respect for all of them. Yes. Yes. That's, that's a lot to be said there. Did they ever ask you much about roping? Because that was your niche. That's what you were great yeah. at. Did they ever ask you many questions um, about roping or training you know, ropes? Not me and Robbie talked a lot about roping because Robbie could rope real good. Right. And we went to a lot of rope ones too. Um, you know, the the style of roping and the style of reining in the cow horse didn't match. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like I really worked with. Avila, mm-hmm. you know, when he was going to the world's greatest and he was going to uh, he show at the world show and the healing and all that, you know, uh, they ride with their stirrup shorter mm-hmm. and they ride with their heels down. Mm-hmm. And you will never be successful roping with short stirrups on your heels down. Mm-hmm. Just don't happen. Why is that? Is it a balance? Well, you, it keeps your elbow down. So if you're sitting in the saddle with your heel down, then your elbow's down. If you're sitting standing up, your elbow's out and up, ah, and it covers okay. more area. Right. And, I mean, you you're, you catch occasionally, mm. but you won't be a consistent roper. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, it was fun when they those guys wanted to rope. Yeah. Because for the 15 minutes, I could get back at them. Yeah. <laughs> so you gave them hell. <laughs> oh, yeah, I gave them hell for 15 minutes. Yeah. Man, I would just you weren't there for a long time, but it was fucking hard. <laughs> you know, so, but yeah, it was... they've been chewing your ass about lead changes and stops yeah. and spins. Sit and back, been, sit back. Yeah, sit they've back. been chewing your ass for, for, for 10 years. Now you get a little payback. But, uh, no, we we had a, I had a great relationship. I have a great relationship with all of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we... Uh, and, so how long were you at Schroeder's place then? A couple of years, yeah. off and on. Yeah, me and Schroeder was a couple of you years. You got a living quarters trailer you're staying in? You're staying oh, in no. the main house? I, I become good enough friends with all the families. They wanted me in the house yeah, to give me yeah, a bedroom. Yeah, yeah. But because I wasn't lazy, I would yeah. get up and go work. And, yeah, you'd, and, you'd carry your weight. Yes, and so we and we got along great. And, you yeah. know, all of them, we got along great. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I like I said, I got the utmost respect for every one of them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they they've been good to me and so what was Robbie's greatest ability uh, thing that you could take away from that time horsemanship or well you already said friendship but w- from a horsemanship perspective do you think it was his versatility that made him great to like you said to be able to step off a a roping horse and step straight on a pleasure horse and then step on a yeah. reiner Robbie never had a uh, individual horse that he couldn't do all events on you know that he had that. Uh, 
Glazer horse later in life when him and Joan were married, mm. and uh, we was roping on it. Oh, at, truly. The day before the world show at uh, Lazy E when he'd bring his horses up to work with me there, and I mean, then he takes him the next day and shows him in the Western riding in the pleasure at the world show. Hmm. And uh, why did um, he do that? Did he think it made him better horses? He could just get them broke that way. Yeah. I mean, he just had no fear and like, and them horses like that horse trusted him and he could do it all. Mm -hmm. it, and you don't uh, see that anymore. No, uh, uh, but I, I tell you, Robbie was just uh, a cowboy mm -hmm. and uh, he had, uh, he had an unbelievable feel for a lot of horses. Feel, yeah. He had an unbelievable feel for a lot of horses, and he could make horses that wasn't supposed to do them events look pretty damn good. Do them, yeah. And so I, you know, he I can I can appreciate Ian Francis is like that. Ian could make a hollow log look impressive. Yeah, and he could ride an average behind a shitty horse and kind of make it do some shit that it shouldn't be doing. And you even look twice. Yes, yes. And the annoying part for me, being a student of his and he's my mentor, is he could ride a half shitty horse around for 10, 15 minutes and kind of look like he's not doing much. Like you just look up and he's kind of fucking piddling around. And then you look back up 15 minutes later and things dragging its ass and, and turning around. You're like, how the fuck did you do that? And he made it look so easy. It pissed me off a lot because I'm trying to study exactly where are you putting your foot? Where are you putting your finger? What are you doing with your, your leg? What are you doing with here? And I truly think people like Ian, and Robbie that are, I think, naturally gifted with horses. There are some horsemen, I'm not one of them for sure, that are naturally gifted at training horses. Like it just become intuitive to them. I was always an ABC guy, do this, get that, you know, very mechanical and to learn because it didn't come natural for me at all. But people like, I think Robbie and Ian was in that category. They were very natural horsemen. They do stuff that and you And they don't just see. could do shit that you couldn't put your finger on why it worked. Yeah. or how it worked, and you'd have to really drill down on them. What are you doing right now? And and I noticed that as Ian went from a competitor and then he retired and went into being a clinician, as he taught more, he got better at teaching. But those naturally talented horsemen, as a general rule, I don't know if you've experienced this, JD, but they're not great teachers. And it's not because they don't want to be a good teacher. It's not because they're trying to hide information or they don't want to share. When you ask them what they're doing, they really don't fucking know. Well, they just have the feel. They, they can't really tell you what they're doing. Right. So for me, wanting to learn what they know, I hate that. I want to know left hand here, right foot here, pull this. And and sometimes it's just not that way. You know, it's a feel. And that's why I say Robbie Schroeder had a feel that he could never. I don't, I don't, I never got it out of him. Yeah. I yeah. never got because he had the feel. Yeah. Like. He would do something and it would be done and this horse would look completely different. How, how did you get it to do that? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's doing it and I'm like, where did yeah. that come from? Yeah. Bob yeah. Avil always told me that John Slack was like that. When John was alive, he would do shit on horses as an apprentice of Bob's and Bob would like, what are you doing? And this kid couldn't explain it, but the fucking look good. Yeah. Don, yeah. you know, I, I got, I was fortunate when I worked for Bob, worked with Bob. Mm-hmm. John Slack and Todd Bergen was working for Bob at the same time. Oh, uh, yeah. So if Bob was on the phone or mm -hmm. Bob was doing business or whatever, mm -hmm. I watched them boys ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, John Slack could make a horse. I've never seen nobody like it, including mm -hmm. Bob. Mm -hmm. 
can make a horse stop like John Sly could. Yeah. It was I, it was the most unbelievable thing I ever seen. Yeah. And uh, he could make a horse. Now, one of the prettiest riders I, I have seen to this day, Todd Bergen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I got to be around both of them, you know, as mm-hmm. a kid. And uh, so that, when when you left... When you left Schroeder's, you're trying to change some things on your roping horses. You're trying to get them more broke. You're trying to get a better handle on them. Is that right or wrong? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, I'm trying to get them more broke, but actually uh, I'm at this point now, I've known I need to supplement income. Okay. So, I mean, my rodeo career is still good. Money's getting better at the rodeos. Money's getting better at the rodeos. We're still doing good. But uh, I need to supplement income because... Uh, now I want to buy a place. Okay. And I want to buy a place, and so I bought this place 30 miles from my dad's house. Go in and talk to this really nice farmer and his wife, you know, an old farming family. Mm-hmm. And, of course, hey, Sonny, what are you doing? Mm. Well, I understand your place is for sale. Oh, yes, come on in here. Of course, old farming family, she made cookies, you know, yeah, and yeah, we yeah. sit down there and they know absolutely nothing about rodeo. They know absolutely nothing. This but place they, just caught your eye. What'd you like about it? Why no, it, it was just close. Thirty okay. minutes had a hundred acres. Right. You know, I grew up on ten acres all my life. I'm yeah. thinking I'm going to have a ranch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have a big place. Yeah. And uh, but it's down there in the east east of Pueblo, a little ways where it's a little cheaper ground. Mm-hmm. It's got quite a bit of water, which we need yeah. water in that part yeah. of the country. And so my Go in and I visit with them and really nice old couple. And they ask me, you know, what they're doing. And of course, she's got me cookies mm. and, you know, the whole deal. And uh, so we're making a deal on the place. You know, we'd really like to live here for at least five more years before we move to town. I said, well, good, because I wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, I don't have the money. You know, I yeah. don't have. To build and, on it. How old are you at this point? At this point, it was like in the midst of when I was going back and forth to horse trainers. I'm about 24. 24 still. Okay, so you you hustling I'm, along. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to put shit together. Yeah. I want to get. I yeah. want to. I want to. I'm looking up here. Yeah. I'm not trying to look just down. Stay level. So this old man, no lady, started visiting. I was telling him about what I did and about the national finals rodeo. And it was a big deal, you know, and we could win a lot of money there. And so we made a deal on a handshake. And I got to pay him once a year. And my payment was everything I wanted at the national finals rodeo, I brought straight to them, and that was the payment. Oh, shit, me. No contract, no, no. nothing. No Just t- a handshake, walk up with a pile of money. That's awesome story. And uh, so... How long did it take you to pay it off? So <laughs> they, after five years, and he, he just kept farming it and doing whatever. Yeah. And You just let him live there for yeah, free? For, and yeah. yeah, and all I did was, all I did was make payments on, the, yeah. on it. No interest, nothing. They're just really good. So then they moved to town. And uh, every year after the NFR, 21 years straight. 21 years. I brought them money. That's funny. Well, actually, it was about uh, 17 that I brought them money after yeah. I bought it, got a bot. But uh, that's awesome. I liked, uh, they both died, and I liked three years of paying it off. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had wrote a note to their kids. Mm-hmm. 
that he don't owe no more money. Because they become the biggest rodeo. They went to more rodeos than I did to watch. They become the biggest rodeo fans. The old and, couple. Yeah, the old couple. So they'd made support you, come watch you? Oh, everywhere. Yes. That's awesome. And uh, But I, I made their kids take that, that last three payments. Yeah. And uh, so I got it all paid off. That's a great story. That's a great, so, so when did you start building on it then? I didn't. It's oh, you the, didn't? No, they. St- I just remodeled the farmhouse and I rented out and I built a, a, a little place for some horses and stuff. But uh, oh, so you never turned it into your dream ranch no, as far I never as turned barns it into, and all that stuff. No, no, no. I, I built next to my dad. I bought the land next to my dad and mom. That's funny. And yeah, so that's a great yeah. story. But I still have that place. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. Forty years, I think, I'm pretty close to. Yeah. Having that place now. <laughs> that's awesome. That's <laughs> and, awesome. Uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, the financial aspect of, of the rodeo world. When did it start? When did the money start coming along? Was there, was there a, a time in the rodeo that went, okay, now they're starting to get some money in there. Was there a time or was an event that happened that it went from, you know, barely surviving to, okay, we can make some money doing this? Or was it just a gradual increase every single year? Or did something happen in that world that made you realize, okay, I can make a decent living doing this? No. Um, I don't think anything really made made me want to go forward with the rodeo, and other than I love the competition. Okay. I love to be one of the one of the one of the guys. I loved I loved to compete against the best in the world. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, an ultimate dream. And actually, so you know, at that time, team ropers only got half the money. Okay. So, like, if you roped on the calf rope and won the same thing I won, if you if I won eighteen hundred, you won thirty six hundred. Okay. And I mean, we only got half the money. We got the same money as a team. Yes. Now they get it per man. Okay. So the money has got good in the team roping now, but yeah. uh, you know that the love of the sport, How the love you? of the competition, yeah. is what I loved, yeah. and the money I, I knew I could work. And I know how, I, how are you training these? If you're on the road so much, how many weekends a year are you on the road in these days, rodeo, when you're really rodeoing hard? Well, see, in, 30 weekends a year? No. no. In that day, see, there was, on, there was only team ropings at half the rodeos. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was still working. And so we only went to our first uh, five years going to the NFR, the most rodeos we went to was 35 in a year. Okay. And the, I mean, we didn't go to very many rodeos. And what about as you got later in your career? Did you were you on the road a lot more? As I got later in my career, it was a lot more. You know, went on and and then I kind of started this training business. And uh, so you're a ho- people are sending you horses to be trained as rope horses. Yeah, just a um, little bit of you know. Of course, at that time I was still trying to dabble in the cow horse mm-hmm. and uh, roping, and you know, I had a had a really good horse that. Uh, I was I worked for the Lazy for quite a while, Ed Gaylord, mm-hmm. and uh, we made some world champions and bred some mares to some really good horses. And I had a, a a really good horse called Popular Resort Figure that uh, Ed Gaylord and the Lazy owned, and uh, he was a five year old. I wanted to win the Super Horse, mm-hmm. and uh, he was. He was a stud, and he was good. What made that horse so good? I yeah, I don't know. I rode his mama, and she was a world champion rope horse, and his dad was dual pep. Mm-hmm. And he just had the look. Like, he just come up there, 
He looked like that guy that uh, you might see in a bar that don't cross him. He look at you at that eye. He might just dodge you, re- yeah. knock you out. Yeah. And uh, he was a, he was just that horse that he was amazing. And I had him. He was four year old, and I had him trained good enough, but he didn't he didn't have the mind. And he was just, just want to kind of fight you on your job, not be honest. What stayed was stayed a little fresh, stayed a little bit. I mean, make how much you rode him, like. I don't know if it was the studness in him or what. He wouldn't wouldn't lock on, and so I only entered him in one event at the World Show that year. And I put my dad on him, hmm. and uh, this time Ed Gaylord still owns him at the Lazy, and I uh, put my dad on him, and he did he did good at the finals. Yeah, and then of course there was a lot of noise, and the horse kind of took the bits in the finals. He broke the barrier. But it got the experience of that horse, what he needed. He seen the lights. And I, I told my dad, I said, that's my chance next year. Yeah. And uh, so actually uh, I qualified him in the head and healing and the calf roping. And then the cow horse. And I got Don Murphy to help me with him in the cow horse. Mm-hmm. And I showed him all the way through. And uh, that year it come down. To the cow horse. Mm-hmm. For the super horse. <laughs> For the super horse, because I had won the calf roping and the heading and second in the healing. And I have to win eighth or better in the cow horse. Odds. And I made the finals, mm-hmm. which is a plus. But, man, my odds are... <laughs> <laughs> Your cow horse is a little rusty still. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I, the cow part of it, I'll play with them all day long. Yeah. But... Uh, Man, they're going in that rain, and I, I'm pretty sure, you know, I'd competed for a lot of money and a lot of awards and a lot of things at one time, but I'm pretty sure I was pretty tight right there. I ain't really <laughs> You're a little punk it up. I'm pretty sure I was pretty tight You're right there. You're tired of fish's ass. And uh, so, anyway, I got through it. and. Uh, you remember where you placed in it? I won sixth. Okay, great. Yeah, won sixth, and, and uh, honestly... He was probably a better horse than that, mm-hmm. but for where your skill set was, yeah, I, I I felt like that I did a adequate job getting yeah. getting him through it, um, and won the super horse, so it was good, you know. And I've, I've been fortunate to ride some great horses. Well, that's, by that some great kind of people. brings me back into the next subject. We're going to take a little break now, freshen up a cocktail, but I want to talk about in the next break about some of the great horses you had and how you got them, how you trained them, what they did for your career. That was one thing, you know, in the last interview we did of Avila, he talked a lot about what great horses did for his career and how it, how it took him to the next level or taught him a horsemanship lesson, etc. So while we're in this little break, be thinking about, you know, the top three, four, five horses that came across in your career and what they did for your career or what they did for your horsemanship. Because, you know, you know the old saying is it, it, a great horse makes that great trainer. Usually every young trainer has got, is struggling, and then they find that one horse, you know, Al done an expensive hobby, you know, perfect yeah. example. Before yeah. Al, or even admit, before expensive hobby, he's just a kid trying to make a living. Right. And he stumbles across this great horse, and those two now, you know, come across the world. Everybody knows who they are. So, every, you know, uh, you know, there's oh, lots of, you know, uh, not that uh, Avila wasn't popular with before, but 
uh, Boominick changed an industry. Yeah. And the way that horse got around, Bob was obviously very successful before Boominick, but that horse changed an industry. So start thinking about certain horses that have come across your career, JD, that changed your horsemanship or changed the style or changed an industry. And we'll chat about that next. How do you know what it takes to become successful? Talk to someone who's done it. Clinton Anderson became a multimillionaire by leveraging his passion for horse training into a global brand and media empire, starting with nothing but the change in his pocket and the will to succeed. In doing so, he revolutionized an industry and became a celebrity. Now, you can put his experience and advice to work for your business. With Clinton Anderson's business consultancy, you can tap into Clinton's unique perspective, hear his straight talk, and get his no-nonsense advice. Just imagine yourself armed with Clinton's hard-earned knowledge and entrepreneurial spirit. So whether you own a ranch or any sort of business at all, we invite you to discover the transformative power of Clinton Anderson's leadership and innovation in your business. Call 1-888-287-7432 to take your business to the next level today. Righto, JD, we're back. Let's talk about horses because you, can, you can't win on foot. So these horses are everything to a horse trainer that's competing. They're his livelihood. That's what feeds his family and pays his bills. But every horse trainer's got a few or handful or maybe many great horses that either changed their careers for the better, taught them something in particular about, you know, humbling experience, you know what I mean? Um, uh, or, or just really change the trajectory of their, their entire career. So is there any particular horses you want to talk about that really impacted your career or taught you something from a horsemanship perspective that you said, okay, you know, like Bob talked about Major Bonanza. That horse was a game changer in his life, mm -hmm. you know, that got him the next great horse. Because every young trainer, doesn't matter what event, when you get that big win, that leads you to that next customer with a great horse. Right. And that next one and that next one. And as you said, you, you can be a great horse trainer, but if you don't have the horse flesh, you're not beating anybody. So what about what do you have to say about that subject? Well, you know, uh, every, uh, every great contestant has a horse behind their name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, when I started my show career, you know, I rode my own horse first yep. year, and uh, my family uh, bred and raised him, and uh, he was ugly. Yep. He was good, but he was very ugly, And uh, but I rodeoed on him and made the national finals and did all that, and so he was, uh, he was good. Um, probably what helped jumpstart me in getting noticed by the public in, yep. the, in the training industry. Yep. Is I uh, got to, um, hired to ride and show Zanpar Jack. Okay. Um, at that time that I was hired at the first of the year, um, I should say hired and fired. Okay. So uh, you went to work for some people. Well, I, I was working at different shows at this point. Yep. Um, like I would go to Fort Worth to the show for... Uh, some people, uh, I rode a lot of horses for, uh, I've, I've been very fortunate. I got to ride a lot of horses for Matlock and Sam Rose. Yep. 
I got to ride horses first. Now, when you say ride horses, you trained them or they already no, trained and you they just would showed train up to them, one? And I would go to their house two days before the show. Oh, and get used to them. And get used to them and then show them for them because, uh, you know, uh, I was probably one of the better healers at that time. Okay. And they wanted to hire you to ride their horses for what? Get to points win the on shows. Them? To win the horse Try shows. Try to win the horse shows. And winning the horse shows gets points on them, builds their careers, makes them more valuable. Right. So in essence, you're kind of like a hard gun. I, I, I don't that, mean that disrespectfully, but no, you're, basically you're, the, that's what you're I, a fucking hired gun. You're, you're, you're a murder man. They call, call you, take this person out. They're calling you saying, I need you to go rope on this stud. I need some points on him. And that's a talent in itself to be able to ride horses you haven't trained. That's really uh, what uh, how I started doing it a lot and finding, yeah. finding out who I was and finding out how good I could ride and yes. get noticed by the public. Yeah. And uh, so... I got to. Uh, I got hired by Carol Rose to ride uh, uh, Sampar Jack at Fort Worth at the stock show. How old is this horse at this point? Uh, five. Did Bobby train him? Who trained no, him? No, uh, Billy Allen trained this horse Allen, this time. Okay. So I showed up Fort Worth and uh, I won. I won the healing on him, and uh, John Miller showed him in the head, and I healed for him. And so I did my job, but I got fired. Okay. Before Houston, Carol fired you. Carol fired me, and uh, <laughs> it's weird as fuck. But anyway, that's the second. I I'm a dumbass. I got fired twice by her, but that's all right. <laughs> and uh, I can live with that. Yeah. I guess I'm not the first one. No, hell no, you won't be the last either. And uh, so uh, then, uh, but she wouldn't. At this time, she wouldn't let me help. Like, usually anybody asked me to help them, I would do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they would give me a little bit of money. I'm a broke cowboy trying to make it. Yeah, you, you're you're up for high. You're a you're, hard gun. If they're going to pay you, you're going to show up, correct? Right. So she wouldn't let me help Matlock and Sam at Fort Worth. Okay. Come time to Houston, Matlock calls me and says, you come show Skip Steel Bar in Zan's Par. Sure. <laughs> It's a little warm-up ring out there riding out back. And, uh, of course, I'm, I mean, I'm with the dogs. Yeah. Don Dodge just riding one horse, visiting with Matlock. I'm, right, I'm riding uh, Skip Steel Bar, and he's riding Zanspar, and we're riding around the arena, and I'm like, I'm with the dogs I've been reading about. I'm yeah. Like, this is, I mean, this You're is, with your idols. Yeah, I'm with these guys. are. So I'm just minding my own business. Carol comes riding up there, and she says, will you help Bobby? Could have heard a pin drop in that place. <laughs> Everybody turns. <laughs> Matlock stops his horse. Don stops. And then uh, I guess I'm supposed to stop. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, right? <laughs> I'm just sitting there like a dummy. And uh, he says, yeah, I'll let you help them pieces. I'll let him help them pieces of shit horses of yours, Carol. <laughs> Who says but this? He's gonna Who ride says this? Matlock Rose. I bet he does. Okay. And uh, he says, but you're, she's gonna, he's going to ride my horses to rope for him. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't say a word. I'm just looking straight ahead. Yeah. I'm like. You're just trying to survive this situation. <laughs> and so it was good, you know. Uh, what did Carol say when he said that? Everything was fine. She never said, which, she, I mean, she didn't care. I'm, yeah. She, she's used to getting bashed or whatever, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Now that I'm older, I know she is. But at that point, I'm like. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little wet behind the ears of this yeah, horse show yeah, deal. Yeah. I'm trying to keep everybody happy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, so, 
and I wound up winning it on Skip Steel Bar, and Bobby won second on Reprise Bar. Mm. And so we all, everything was good. Mm. And so, you know, when you talk about horses that might have jump-started your career, probably my catch-riding days that I, before I started training, you know, um, probably was the, the highlight of putting me on the map. You know, as far as that I could, I had a good enough hand, my left hand, that people would trust me to ride their horses yeah. that they could still do other events on. That's, and, a, that's a whole skill set, uh, J.D., that, that a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is. is and, and to be a professional catch rider is its own set of skills because you've got to get on horses that other people have trained and get with them very quickly and go perform on them. You know what I mean? That, yeah. That's not easy. I couldn't do it at all because I'm very particular about how I want my horses to ride, how yeah. I want them to feel, how I want them to look. I can't go with the flow. You've got to be a very unique individual to be able to let some shit go that you may not like, but you realize, hey, i got to rope in a day or two. And then other shit, you said, I can fix this in two days. I can get this a little better. And they, that's a hell of a skill set. That's not easy. It was, uh, it, it was, uh, it was very... Very good for me. I was. I bet I, you got a lot of experience on different horses, didn't you? I, you I, got to see a lot of different styles of training. So I suspect, don't want to put words in your mouth, when you got off some of these horses, you're like, eh, I might go home and see if I can duplicate this. There was or I, I need to go home and avoid this. Did any of that happen? Oh, yeah. There was horses that I rode by different trainers that had things I wanted to put on them. Yep. And there was horses that I rode by different trainers that I never wanted to see again on a horse. Yes, but that's experience. So I, um, all of that was very valuable. Probably uh, there was uh, my dad. Dad trained a horse for me um, that went on that I never showed. I actually let my cousin show it. I rode it at the national finals when it was a three-year-old, mm. and uh, he trained it when it was uh, some well-bred stuff but he put all that stuff on it that he'd watched me do mm. and then my cousin um showed it at the world show and won the world on it mm -hmm. and it was the first aqha prca horse of the year okay so it was you know it it put on a map but at that time i was showing horses for other people mm -hmm. and so i was not to, i would you know i wouldn't ride my own well that's what i was just going to get at was it hard for you to train your own horses when you're on the road so much jd were you taking these horses with you so I, you could keep riding them? I took a lot of the. I didn't take a lot of horses in training then because I was okay. still catch riding a lot. Okay, but the ones, but you had to try to train a few of your own, didn't you? Yep. So did you take took, them with you? Yep, always took them with me. So back in those days, are you staying in motels? You have got living quarters, trailers. How are you getting around? <laughs> well, we had a we had old blue van mm -hmm. that didn't get very good gas mileage, mm -hmm. so we took the back couch out. Moved it up and converted it to propane. Okay. And boxed the propane in. Propane was uh, eight cents a gallon. Okay. We had a hundred gallons of propane in there, and then had a couch in front of it that pulled out to a bed. Yeah. Okay. And then we'd stay in it and, and shower at the community shower. That's interesting. So you're 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 surviving on an oily rag. Like yeah. you, you can survive on nothing, etc. Right. Okay. Um. No other horse in particular that really stood out in your mind that changed your your perspective on on anything you do by any chance? You know, I, uh, I I. Or did you have a favorite? You know, probably the favorite. My favorite horse. 
I had some great horses to ride. I mean, I've been lucky. Those guys yeah. have furnished me with great horses, and I've had clients with that's bought the horses that I wanted, and 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 I had one horse that I bought for a client that I'm sure I did a terrible job of training, mm -hmm. and it might quite be one of the best horses I ever rode. Mm -hmm. Why did you say you may not have done the best job training it? I showed him at the World Show, not eight different years. I mean, I showed him three different years in four classes. And I won. I never won the world on him. And I'm not so sure he wasn't the best horse I ever rode. Mm-hmm. Did you just not click with him? Did you just no? Not I loved enough? him. He was my, just, still still to this day is one of my favorite. Just a bit favorites. of bad luck. I don't think I did a good job of training because you didn't. Ride, I want to know why though. Did I don't not, know. You didn't ride him enough. I rode. I rode him at rodeos. I I hauled him with me all the time. Mm -hmm. um, the one year I should have won the super horse on him, I missed a marker in the cow horse in the finals. Okay, so you fucked so that up. I, 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 that was yeah, that, was yeah. that was a brain fart. That was a brain fart. That was stupid. Yeah. Um, I won. I showed him uh, three, six, nine, nine times in the roping. What was the horse's name? Doc's Diamond Cut. Okay. Round gilding. Yep. Um, body mock the oxbow. Mm -hmm. And I showed him nine times in the roping, three times the calf roping, three times the heading, and three times in the healing. Mm -hmm. And won eight seconds and one third. Okay. Is it is it unusual for you to be able to train a calf horse and a head horse and a heel horse and and move them around those three events? Is that old school, or you can still do it today? Or you know what I'm trying to say? Is it, yeah. Because I would have thought it would. Have, as rodeo got specialized today, like every other rain event, like rainers are rainers, yeah. cutters are cutters. Yeah. You know, when you grew up, it wasn't all specialized. But but can a horse still do those multiple events in the rope? And can they head? Can they heel? Can they calf rope or not? Um, they can, the, the freaks, the good ones, the yep. great ones. Yep. Uh, and then days we had no choice. We, yes, we did all to. of it, yes. yeah. but, uh, um, it is very specialized today. Okay. Even, in the, even wanna... in the show world and even in the rodeo world. Yeah. What's changed? Like, like, like there's a lot changed, but if you had to say what the biggest change in the rope industry rodeo is today compared to 30 years ago, what is it? Well, the, the, the. Actually, the times are faster. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand that, but the calves are smaller, mm -hmm. the steers are smaller, the the score for the steers, the head starts, and all that's shorter. Yep. And so everything is diversified in how you train one mm -hmm. because you know years ago we wanted to stand there like a statue, leave there running. They better stop hard because that calf big enough. If you don't get him jerked down off his yeah. feet, he's going to run over you when he comes up off the yeah. ground. Now we don't want him jerked down because they're littler, they're smaller. Yeah. We want to turn them around. The score's shorter, so we're not running as fast as we were in them yeah. days. You know, um, in the team roping, uh, we want the head horses wider at the rodeo because the steers are smaller. And you pick them up, and the, that makes the times faster, mm -hmm. you know. And the guys are reaching quite a bit more. Where in them days, roping them great big steers, if you reach that much on a head horse, he'd say bye bye. He would get sore. 
Yeah. And yeah. so you had to have one that run. And, you know, so... Um, are the kids, are the young guys better ropers than what they were when you were in your 20s? Or is the skill set with a rope? Take horsemanship out of it. Take style out of it. Just kids with a rope in their hand, okay? Is the ro- are, the, are the kids any better roping now than what they were 30 years ago? Obviously, horse flesh has changed. Obviously, training techniques have changed. You've mentioned quite a few changes. But let's just talk about a kid and a rope. Much change there or not? You know, there was no um, it, the evolution of the rope has changed. Okay. So you know the um, I, I, there was kids that handled ropes great back years ago, yeah. and could do a lot of things with the rope. Um, the scores and stuff that I've talked about have all changed. That changed how you do rope today. So it does look like because of the times that they're much more sophisticated mm-hmm. and stuff you know um as we all know you know yes the horses have changed yes the cattle have changed you know what's changed more than anything is the rope okay tell me you know there's different brands of ropes and all that um like i'm with classic and mm-hmm. and classic puts a great different bunch of different kinds of ropes out yeah you know we used to use a rope that big around and it was just called a scant seven sixteenths because the cattle were big and they were big heavy ropes and they was what would you when you dallied on the saddle horn would stop the cow. Yeah. Now we use uh, three eighths light. They're that big around, mm-hmm. easier to handle. Um, you know, and the steers are smaller to where you can stop them with that rope. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that's changed that make it look like um, that. The caliber of ropers are better today. Um, but you've got to take into all the other account, uh, yeah, factor in all the other things. You know, I, I can take myself completely out of the equation here, and I can mention a ton of ropers that if they were this age today, they would still be that great. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm not uh, – I, I do admire everybody out there that goes and wins and does what they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I – I hand it to them. They're very yeah. credible, and I yeah. give them all the credit in the world. But I'm not going to take any credit away from a lot of the guys that competed in my air. Yes. That were very, very talented, that would have been the same talented mm-hmm. in this air. That's right. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. that and, very much so. All factors considered, yes. Yes, I think that A talented horseman is a talented horseman, and a talented horse is a talented horse. It might <laughs> Ground might have been different, equipment might have been different, et cetera, but a, a great horse is still a great horse. Yeah, you know, there was a, there was a great horse that stood out in my mind mm-hmm. in the cow horse and arena. Mm-hmm. And Les Boat showed it. What was it? Man, I wanted... I know the horse you're talking about. His name Bay. is Chex, wasn't it? Um, yeah, something... Bay Horse. Yeah, I know. He won the senior cow horse and the junior reigning cow... He won the junior... No, he won the senior cow horse and the senior reigning the at the AQHA year. World Show at the same year. Yeah. Would have been 1991, maybe. Something 92, like that. somewhere in there. Maybe 90. Yeah, Dooley checks, wasn't it? Dooley something, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, but he won the senior reigning and the senior cow horse the in the same, same show. Yeah. And uh, I take that horse today. Mm-hmm. Yep. At uh, thirty-five years later. Yep. Yep. They still, probably, don't, they still don't beat him. Yeah. They still. I think maybe the difference is now. Would you agree? Is that there's just more of the better horses. 
Yeah, there's more. It, it's not maybe not a better horse, but there's more of them. If, yeah. if back in that day there was one out of every five hundred that were a great one or a thousand, yeah. Now there might be fifty out of five hundred that could go compete. Yes, you and know that, because of the bloodlines, the breedings. You know, most of these events now, would you agree? We're into third, fourth generation of champions now. Yeah, we've been breeding them for three to four generations of winner to winner to winner. Where when you and your dad were breeding them, you were just trying to get out something that would sound have four <laughs> that straight. We could go let, compete on. You go compete on. Yeah. Final question, JD. I always ask every guest this and, and I get lots of great feedback and, and great information because to be honest, I put this podcast on for me. I just love learning. I just love learning from experienced people and love hearing stories and so forth and love knowledge. And I've always been honestly attracted to older people than me. And when I was in high school, I never had friends my own age. All my friends as an adult, really, because I, I had left high school at 15. So I, like you, I had to grow up very quickly, mm-hmm. went from high school to an adult world very quickly. I'm 48 now, and most of my close friends are 20 to 30 years older than me. And then the sad part is they're starting to die now. I'm 48. <laughs> they're starting to die. Um, but I loved older people because I loved learning from them and their experience and picking their brain and asking questions. One of the questions I always ask every guest on the, on the podcast, if you had to go back and give JD Yates some advice or give a a 20 year old JD Yates some advice now about life, money, horses, business, anything really, what would you tell yourself? Or if you had to tell somebody listening to this as a 20-year-old kid listening to this podcast now and you had to give them some valuable advice that would but maybe help them in their life, what would it be? Is there any one thing particular that you would stand out? Like for me, I would say work ethic. You can beat talent with work ethic because most talented people won't fucking work. Does that make sense? So yep. if, you, if you would just show up every day to work and put in your best effort and hump it, You'd be amazed how far you can really get with just a great work ethic. Okay, that's what I'd say. Something like that. Is there anything you could say to the audience, or you could go talk to a JD Yates? Maybe you wouldn't have listened to yourself. Now you had a damn good mentor with your father. Okay, so he very much kept you on the straight and narrow, kept you working, and was a great mentor still to this day, by the sounds of it. But if you could go back and give yourself some advice, or somebody else, what would you say? You know, I, I would probably reenact what was said to me mm-hmm. keep your head down your ass up and working and the end result will be good yeah yeah and uh you know that was uh at my age at 63 i still live by that rule because half the people i can com- three-fourths of people i compete against are 40 years younger than me mm-hmm. and every day i get up i work harder because that's my goal is to kick to beat them yeah Yep. And so that's the way I have to do it mm-hmm. is keep my head down and my ass up and keep after it. Yep. Yep. I like that a lot. Do you find the older you get, JD, the more you tr- l- try to hang around younger people, they keep you young? Do you think those young guys keep you hungry? Because they're younger than you and got got youth on their side. You got experience and life and a lot of shit that's in your advantage, but your body may not be as good as what it was when you were 20. You know what I mean? But do you find younger people drive you more? Being around young people keep you hungrier? The reason I ask that is uh, recently my mentor in the advertising world, uh, Dan Stewart, passed away in my marketing company. And he said to me one time, I always remember things he said and I listened to him. And he always said, Clinton, as I get older, I think he was close to 80 when he died. He said, I surround myself with young people. And I said, why do you do that? He said, because when you're old, don't surround yourself with old people because I'll make you old. You surround yourself with young people that are passionate, talented, hungry, want to win the world. He said, I love going to work every day. 
getting around young, talented graphic design artists, young, talented marketing people, because he said, it keeps me fresh, keeps me hungry. He said, I don't want to hang around old people. I want to hang around young people that have got the eye of the tiger. And I never forgot that. Uh, he said, you start hanging around old people at the nursing home pretty soon, that's what the fuck you turn into as an old person at a nursing home sitting in a chair. Do you notice that at all or have, have made a mental note of that at getting around young people or not really? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I'm fortunate. And uh, probably the biggest driving force for me today mm -hmm. is my son. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, you know, one of the top ropers in the world. Mm -hmm. How old is he? He is 27. Mm -hmm. And I practice with him. Mm -hmm. I practice against him. Yep. And I watch him rope every day. And it is a big change because he's driving me now to not be lazy yes. with my rope. Not be like, if you're going to do this, Dad, don't do it half-assed. Yeah, let's do it right. And uh, so he's a very big driving force. I'm very fortunate that I have that around all the time. Mm -hmm. And like he don't let me, he don't let me slack at all. I love that. And, uh, you know, we're, I can honestly say that he's a huge driving force of keeping me, my mind working to be high, uh, to try to compete on a high level. Stay sharp. Well, that's it. Staying around young people. He's half yeah. your age, you know. So. You you are very lucky and fortunate, and and obviously you realize it to have your father still alive, you're alive, your son's alive. You've got three generations of great horsemen, great ropers that have a mutual respect for each other. That's a very unique thing that I think could be cherished for the rest of your life and your son's life and your in your father's life. You know what I mean? So congratulations for that. That's hard to do. Very few people get to say that, that they they their dad's still alive, they rope with them, their son, et cetera. So congratulations to you. Well, you know, you've you've won, I think it was the last time I read it, was over 34 world AQHA World Championships. You've done things that nobody else has done. It's been a great story. You've motivated me to go home and work a little harder, and that's what I love. The biggest thing I enjoy about this podcast, it doesn't make any fucking money. I do this for fun. This is just something I enjoy to do, and I wanted to put it out to the world, you know? And, one, and I have people walking up to me now, a lot of young people, but I don't know who they are. They obviously recognize me, but I don't know who they are. And from different industries, raining, cutting, cow horse, pleasure, you name it. And they'll walk up to me and they'll shake my hand and they'll say, Clinton, thank you for this podcast. I love it. I get hungry. I'm getting, I'm getting the eye of the tiger. I love listening to the guests. I love listening to their stories. This, it's, these stories that you're sharing and all the guests that have been on this podcast is making a difference. It's making young people hungry again. It's making people want to go make some money. It's making people want to get their ass out of bed and make something of their lives, which I love. I love now, one of my biggest joys for me, I don't know how you feel, is I love seeing young people kick ass. I, I like seeing young people drive hard and be successful. Nothing pisses me off than young people that are talented but just so fucking lazy they won't get it done. You know, you know what I mean? And I love seeing young people kick ass and do great things. And this podcast, and I'm, I'm sure your story is going to help keep motivating people to get out of bed a little earlier, go to bed a little later, and fucking try a little harder. Well, you know, I, I started my career when I started going to the horse shows and going to the rodeos. I figured out one thing. Mm -hmm. If you're the first one to the barn mm -hmm. and the last one to leave, you'll have a better chance to be the champion. Yeah, yeah. 
That's a that's a damn good one. You know, it reminds me of, of the most famous saying that Ian Francis, he's still alive, but Ian Francis said to me that I never forgot. You know, he's won the cut in Futuri three times in Australia, won the Reign in Futuri five times. He's like you, an all-round. He wasn't a roper, but he was an all-round, truly great horseman. And you knew him. You, you met yeah, him one time. I met time. him over yep. there. One of the greatest things he, Ian ever said to me that I never forgot, he says this. He says, as a competitor, you'll always have to compete against people at the horse show that are more talented than you. You'll always have to compete against people that are better mounted than you. But you should never compete against anybody better prepared than you. That's very pretty true. powerful. Yeah, very you're, true. You're never going to be the most talented cowboy out there, and you're sure as shit not going to be riding the best horse every time out there, but you sure better be the best prepared out there. And I'm going through that myself. I'm trying to learn the cow horse industry, and I'm kind of getting my ass handed to me. I've thought I had a little bit of success this year, and I won the pre-faturity, so I'm trying to get – I'm working really hard at this, mm. really hard at it, because I've been getting my ass kicked, and it's not fun. And you got to get humble. you got to get dirty. You got. I'm back at the barn at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm leaving at 6 p.m. at night. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. fucking hump, humping it. And one thing I notice, if I don't do very well at a horse show and I get my ass handed to me, if I've really prepared well and can go to bed saying, Clinton, is there anything else you could have done to, to, to do a better job? If I can honestly say the answer is no, I don't like losing, but I go to sleep straight away. But if I ask that question, is there anything I could have done? Could, did I miss a few weekends? Did I take a week's vacation? Did, could I have walked a little harder? Should I have put a little more effort in? And then I got my ass kicked. That bothers me a lot. That bothers me a lot. I don't like losing, knowing I could have done better if I would have, or at least gave myself the chance to do better by working harder and better preparation. Well, you know, the way that I that I look at that, mm -hmm. it's all it's all built in your mind to be a winner. Yeah. And if you want to be a winner, you know that that that's part of it. Mm -hmm. That's part of the project. Yeah. And you know, I've always said. Uh, the one thing that I can always say that the horse industry has done for me, that there's a lot of people out in this world that rope way better than I do. Mm -hmm. But I've actually learned to ride a horse good enough that I can compete with them. Yeah. And that's the joy and the love that I have for the horse. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, JD, cheers, mate. I sure appreciate you. Cheers. Thank you Thanks. for taking the time to come out here. Great story. Great that we got to uh, sit down here and, and have a conversation. And uh, uh, I'm going to get you back on another podcast because I really want to fucking know how you're not married and how, you have <laughs> <laughs> how you've got billions. <laughs> cheers, brother. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Today's episode was filmed and produced by Intercut Productions, marketing by Stuart & Associates, and organized and administrated by Down Under Horsemanship. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a rating. Follow us and stay up to date on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. See you next time, mate. Cheers.